Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 32, headlined by a big bantamweight scrap between former 135-pound GOAT TJ Dillashaw and up-and-coming Corey Sanhagen. I'm very excited for this fight as well. Definitely get to see, one, what TJ Dillashaw looks like after that whole USADA debacle that he had to deal with for the past two years and what Corey Sanhagen looks like in probably the biggest spot in his career going up the, against the biggest name, like I said, former bantamweight GOAT, and then obviously looking to secure a bantamweight title shot for himself if he's able to pull off the victory tomorrow night. So there, a lot to look forward to on this card. Fun fights. Adrian Yanez, Randy Costa on the card, not to mention uh, Ian Heinish against Nasruddin Imov is a fight that I have circled as well, not just because I have a bet on it, but I'm very intrigued to see if there's any improvements from the Imovov side of things. And then obviously Macy Barber versus Miranda Maverick should be a great scrap at the 125-pound division, and we get to see who gets to move on. So you guys know how this Ultimate Wayne show goes. I don't normally go out there and just do it myself. I bring some savages with me, and this time around we got some guys that have been on the show already. They know the drill, and I can't wait for them to uh, to hop back on here and uh, help us out break this fight down or these uh, these fights down one last time for you guys all right first and foremost i'm gonna bring on my boy brady from dfs by the numbers brady what's going on my guy what's up lock thanks for having me on yeah like every friday i love sitting back and watching the show as a fan um, i usually have it on when I'm, while i'm working on some stuff for next week so um it's nice to be back on I haven't been on in, in a while so looking forward to it um two great guys came up for you to announce them but i think it's a great cast tonight dude Absolutely. I see my guy or our guy, Uncle Weezy, in the chat there as well, too. Shout out to Uncle Weezy. Right, He'll definitely doing? be on uh, very soon in the future as well, now that I'm starting to repeat guests as well. Next up, I'm going to bring on my guy, AJ Sholo from AJ MMA Betting and Daily Fan MMA, if I'm not uh, mistaken, as well, working over there with Brad Apley. AJ, what's going on, dude? Not much, man. Super excited to be chopping up with you guys. This is an awesome fight night card. I was joking earlier with some of the other guys I was on a stream with. You know, I'd be willing to pay some money for this fight night. You know, Aspen Ladd, <laughs> Macy Chason or not, let's get down with this fight card. <laughs> I love how you single that fight out immediately. But uh, yeah, I would love to see those girls throw down, hopefully, in one of these uh, future fight nights that actually goes down because that's a very intriguing matchup for sure. All right. Lastly, I'm going to bring on my guy, Liam. Liam picks fights. Liam, what's going on, my guy? Hey, what's going on, Locke? I'm very excited to be on tonight. Uh, what a cast. I mean, I, I feel once again, like I'm living with the legends. I told you last time I'm excited to be here. A lot of fun. Uh, and I think it's a great fight card that we have the main event, just phenomenal. I think everybody's been salivating, uh, over this fight since it's been announced. So let's get down to business boys. I'm excited. Well, Liam, you've definitely carved out and earned a spot on a spot uh, on a platform like this. So trust me, you definitely deserve to be here. And you're right. We've been talking about this bantamweight fight since May when they were originally scheduled to fight uh, with one another. So uh, it's been a little bit of a prolonged process, but luckily they're throwing down tomorrow night. Knock on any knock on wood if you got it around you, because I do definitely want to see this fight go down tomorrow night. So uh, before I start off anything, I do have everybody's Twitter accounts linked in the description below. So make sure you guys pop on that description and then click on their links and give them a follow because i promise you guys are going to want to know what the hell <laughs> uh these guys are saying on their twitter timelines because they'll definitely bless you with some good information all right let's not waste any further time let's get down to this fight card first and foremost we got the talk of the town amongst mma twitter deanna belbitsa going up against hannah goldie 
in terms of the odds, minus 115 on Deanna, Deanna Belbita, plus 100, plus 105 on Hannah Goldie. So it's looking like it's coming to fruition. What I was predicting earlier in this week that we're probably going to see a line flip come fight time. And that's exactly what we're seeing this time around. Shout out to anybody that got that plus 150, plus 140 on Deanna Belbita because that was not around for too long once people started taping this fight. Uh, we know what we're getting here. Deanna Belbita has some good striking, has some good uh, pop on her shots. Hannah Goldie likes to, you know, uh, rely a little bit more on her volume and her output, you know, working on the outside, uh, not really using her strength the way that I thought she would, right? She's obviously very muscular, obviously very strong once you look at her, but she doesn't really go in there and try to implement a clinch heavy game plan or a takedown heavy game plan. Could we see a change tomorrow night? Possibly. But as handicappers and predictors, we have to go off of what we've been seeing inside the cage and then try to make a, an assumption in terms of how these fights are going to go down. So you can put a little bit of a percentage into the fact that Hannah Goldie could potentially look to grapple here, but I, I just don't see it happening. She's obviously going to be at a huge reach and height disadvantage in this fight. And I do think that we'll see the better shots coming from Balbiza in this spot. I do think she'll be a little bit more accurate with the target while we'll have Hannah Goldie kind of whiffing at air a little bit more often than not. So it's going to be coming down to the optics of this fight. Is Hannah Goldie's volume and output going to sway the judges? Or will Belbitsa be able to land up more significant strikes and visibly look like she's doing more damage and she could get the judges' decision from there? I'd be surprised if either woman gets a finish in this fight. If there is one, I think it would be coming from the Belbitsa side of things. But I still do think that we'll see this fight go the full 15 minutes. I'm going to be setting Belbitsa still. I don't think that there's much value left on the line considering that it's a pick now. But if you do have a strong case for one side or the other, which I'd be surprised if anybody does, yeah. uh, then I, you know you are getting a decent line here given it's a pick em fight, but I'm going to go about Belbitsa. Uh, I am going to go about Belbitsa via decision. And uh, yeah, the, the, the stare down as well, too, definitely showed us what we were going to be getting in terms of a size discrepancy in this fight. Uh, they both look great on the scales. And yeah, last pick, uh, like I said, Diana Belbitsa via decision. Brady, I'm going to swing it on over to you, brother. Do you have anything to add to this fight? Yeah, uh, kind of how you mentioned. Um, I saw um, Belbita at plus 160 on, uh, on Bet MGM. I saw a lot of people with Belbita tickets. And you know, if I did have access to that plus 160 personally, I, I would have played it. But on my book, it was like plus 132. At, at that point, I didn't really want to get involved. But um, so if, if you did bet it at plus 160, plus 150, yeah, uh, good job on you. you. You did your job. You beat the line movement. But right now, um, there's no way I'm betting on this fight, especially as Balbita as a favorite. I will pick her to win just because she has like a, a massive like six and a half, seven and a half reach advantage. But um, if she's somebody you just can't trust, I mean, I remember uh, the fight against the Wanda Jujua where everyone oh thought. God. <laughs> hey, um, keep this on the feet. Don't go for takedowns and outstrike Luana Jadua, who has terrible striking. And what does she do? She goes for a takedown and then she gets, I believe, armbarred. And that's kind of the story of Belbita. When she typically loses, it's by submission. So um, for her, she has had at least one takedown in each and every fight. I, I don't really recommend her going for takedowns here. Uh, Goldie, I believe she just got her purple belt as well. So uh, for Belbita, she's going to want to keep this on the feet, uh, outstrike her, use that range, use that length she has. But Man, you couldn't you couldn't pay me to bet on this fight, especially you know where it's at now. If anything, um, you know the plus money was probably a good look, but at this point, um, nothing. I mean, no props, nothing for me. I'm gonna sit back and uh, and watch this fight as a fan. AJ, every time we get a UFC card, for some reason, the MMA Twitter world and the predictor world salivates over the lowest level fight on the card. And this week, we obviously got Hannah Goldie and Deanna Balbiza going up against each other. Now that they're at a pick -em odd, uh, pick -em odds, do you think there's value on either side? And ultimately, ultimately, who do you think ends up winning? 
it just goes to show the how how passionate people are about this sport. You know, whether it's the first fight of the night or the main event, we love them just as much. So we like to think. But uh, I mean, you guys made some great points. I think Belbita at the underdog price was intriguing. Um, now so much it's it's definitely less intriguing. You know, you guys said it. You know, I definitely have my concerns about Belbita's fight IQ. I mean, she goes out there, lands a one-two combo on Jojua twice that lands clean and hard. What does she do? She gets the clinch and then gets the fight to the ground and then gets armbarred from guard. That's her issue. Is fight IQ. Uh, and also defensive grappling. Uh, the vast majority of her losses are by submission. And even in that Molly McCann fight, Molly McCann was out there almost getting a ground and pound stoppage in, in the second round there, almost got a finish. So that's always going to be an issue, I think, with Belbita. Lucky for her, though, Goldie is uninterested in wrestling, as you guys pointed out. No takedown attempted in her UFC debut in a fight that went 15 minutes against Miranda Granger, who we know struggles on the ground. We saw that against Ashley Yoder, even in her contender series fight. Goldie, no wins by submission. I don't think that'll be an issue here for Belbita. I think you guys guys made a good point. Fight's probably likely to be contested on the feet. Belbita, seven inches of reach. I think her volume is a bit better. She doesn't have good defense, but I think her defense is better than Goldie's, who pretty much just keeps her head in a straight line, doesn't really move it. And Belbita, even though I don't, if, if you're backing Belbita, you don't want her to get the fight to the ground. I think she could get the clinch here. Granger got the clinch pretty much at will, held Goldie there. Uh, Goldie, to me, just pretty much wants to move laterally on the outside, throw various kicks and feints. Um, and then beyond that, she just kind of struggles. So I think Belbita, just more technical, again, longer reach. She could have success landing the low kicks here. Her accommodations as well should be able to help her win the aggregate of the striking exchanges. I think Belbita gets it done by decision. Liam, it seems like Balbita is the public favorite dog here in terms of at least for this fight week. And, you know, for good reason, especially with the line that they were getting earlier in the week. But now at a pick em, it's kind of hard to choose either side here. Do you see an edge on either side at a pick em spot here for both of these women? Or are you, like the rest of us, staying the hell away? Uh, no, is the long and short of it. Uh, I feel like this was a fight that I had very little interest in betting. Like you said, it's basically the lowest level fight on the card by a country mile. And uh, when you look at the two fighters, there's not a lot of data on the Hannah Goldie side, just not a lot of fights uh, that you could look at. And then there's not a lot of substantive fights on the other side. You know, uh, if you look through her record, it's it's full of just 0-2, 0-1, 1-0 type fighters. And so she hasn't really had credible challenges until she got to the UFC to the extent that Molly McCann's a credible challenge. And she came up very short in those encounters. So, you know, these are uh, fighters that are both coming off losses as favorites as well. So uh, if you're not getting dog money, I'm, I'm not interested in either fighter. And especially right now, the book, the book is winning either way uh, at these pick em odds. And so for that reason, I have no interest in this fight. I like it. I like it. Let's move on from the shit show. Next up, we got Elise Reed going up against Sajara Eubanks. Elise Reed coming in on short notice as the CFFC strawweight champion going up a weight class now fighting Eubanks, who's going to be coming back down to 125 pounds. Looked great on the skills by all accounts. I don't think there's anything to worry about there. Uh, Brady, how do you see this fight going down? And uh, what are your thoughts in terms of what you saw from Eubanks on the skills this morning? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this fight, man. I mean, this is something that I bet last week. So I bet Eubanks at minus 240. And honestly, it, it would have been a max bet if there weren't the question marks and red flags surrounding Eubanks and the weight cut because I thought to myself, hey, uh, she struggles to, to make 135. Um, how is she going to make 125? And I also thought to myself, there's a pretty good chance she does miss weight. So um, I didn't go as heavy as I, as I probably should have because now we saw that, hey, she really did look really good on the way in. So I like my bet even more now. So 
Um, in this fight, you know, Reach is going to be a, the, the less experienced fighter by a decent margin. Uh, Eubank, she is six and six, but she is fighting like legit competition. And I, I think she's better pretty much everywhere, to be honest. You take a look at Reed on the regional scene and, and she's getting taken down easily. She's getting put into really, really bad spots. And Eubank, she has takedowns. She's a, a black belt in BJJ as well. I think she's going to uh, make this fight look really dominant. And, you know, outside of the potential cardio issues, I, I think she can, at the very worst, uh, win those first two rounds. And at the very worst, maybe she does drop the third round. But, you know, honestly, I don't really see it going there. So although I do have a straight bet on Eubanks, I haven't really placed it yet, but I'm looking at a potential Eubanks violence bet. And it's interesting because uh, she has no finishes in the UFC. Um, her finishes come outside of the UFC also on the Ultimate Fighter. I believe she also got a submission on the Ultimate Fighter as well. But I just think there's a, a huge, huge, not only experience gap, not only size advantage, but a, a skill gap as well, in my opinion. I think Eubanks can win this fight um, early, maybe first round. I want to say by submission. Uh, the submission prop on FanDuel Sportsbook is plus 500. That kind of has me intrigued. But uh, maybe even like Eubanks inside the distance, plus 150. I haven't bet it yet, but I, I might be adding on to my Eubanks play here. Yeah, I like the angle of taking the inside the distance rather than that sub in case there's a ground and pound scenario in the spot. And that's definitely one spot that I do have circled as well. AJ, uh, you giving Elise Reed any shot here or uh, do you think that Eubanks just uh, cruises in this spot? Well, everybody has a chance in this game. We don't like to think <laughs> in those absolutes. That's a dangerous game. Um, but yeah, to your point, Brady hit the nail on the head. I mean, this Elise Reed, with all due respect, she has shown awful takedown defense, awful grappling on the regional scene, mounted several times, but in, put in deep submission attempts in the top position. So now you're talking about a fighter in Sajara Eubanks, who's got her issues, like you said, with cardio and, you know, the weight cut she made successfully this go around. But here's the thing. Sajara Eubanks is a BJJ black belt, a BJJ world champion. You know, going back and watching her against Julia Avilia, who's a stronger fighter, in my opinion, than Reed, a better submission grappler. Avilia is a BJJ brown belt, to my knowledge. Sajara was able to get a 10-8 round on Avilia there, pass to mount, get the arm triangle choke. She could threaten with the neck crank, the rear naked choke. So I think with Sajara, go out here get an early takedown, pass Elise's guard, get in a dominant position, I think get a submission here. I know that uh, Sajara on a record, she's mainly a decision fighter, decision machine, but I think we see her go out here and get a, uh, her first UFC uh, finish in a while because it is just such a massive skill gap on the ground and she's got a huge size advantage. So um, got my hesitancies about cardio, but she might not need it because I just think she gets it done here early. I'm glad that you touched on the fact that she doesn't have any finishes, at least over her last 10 fights. And automatically, a lot of people would just be like, oh, what makes you think that she's going to get a submission here? That's the importance of tape study. We see the uh, the, uh, the 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 ability that she has to get the better positions on Reed, especially on the ground. And we've seen Reed struggle against grapplers in the past. So this is definitely the best grappler that we're going to see her face to this point. And I think that there is an opportunity for the inside that this is to hit. Liam, how, Liam, how are you feeling about this matchup? And uh, uh, do you think uh, Eubanks could find that finish as well? Yeah, I think that uh, the boys have touched on a lot of great points and a lot of the points that I was going to make. I did bet uh, Sajara Eubanks inside the distance. I got plus 160 on that. Um, and I also have Sajara Eubanks parlayed with another fighter we're going to discuss later on. Um, and I didn't go too heavy on either one of them because I agree that there are you know some concerns, some liabilities. We've seen Sarge, uh, when she's tried to cut this kind of weight in the past, uh, have a little bit of struggles. But I also think that we've seen Sarge bully around big, strong fighters like uh, AJ is talking about at 135. And so um, I, I discussed on my show yesterday that I, I think when you have a grappler with both a size and skill uh, disparity, you could just see somebody get molded like clay fast. Uh, and I think that 
that is a very live possibility here. I think DFS uh, hit that on the head as well. So that's how I'm targeting this fight. Uh, you know, I think now the line is, you know, been appropriately adjusted. Sajara on my book is minus 440, I think now. So I would no longer play it. I par later when she was minus 355 on the money line. And I thought that I was kind of late to the party. Um, and so now I think that it's like a, an accurate market price for what we should see. So I'm intrigued. Uh, I think that Sarge is going to get her first UFC finish. I'm excited to see her do it. And uh, I hope she cashes me that ticket. I love it. I love it. And by the way, shout out to that beautiful sweatshirt that you got on there. If I'm not mistaken, that's an Anderson Silva, is it not? Baldwin, Baldwin Palace. It looks like the one of those Anderson Silva, the bead shirts that I used to have. Jesus, Liam, you're 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 hunting, you're you're confusing me over here. God, God. Anyway, <laughs> let me get back to uh, this fight specifically. Yeah, these guys definitely hit the nail on the head in terms of how this fight is going to go down. I believe it's going to be somewhat one-sided. Uh, obviously, MMA, anything can happen in this sport. And at least Reed, in my opinion, does have a great uh, a striking advantage in this fight. But I'd be surprised to see Eubanks go out there and you know not sure to take down within a minute a minute and a half of this fight actually going down if she decides to strike for a little bit you know try to you know set up that eventual takedown i think she might find herself in trouble early in this fight uh but i do think that eubanks will drag this fight to the ground and get that early submission in this spot as well all right let's move on to the next fight here we got andre Ewell plus 170 going up against julio warse making his return since his last fight Back at UFC 244, where he dropped a decision to Hakeem Duwadu. AJ, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off, my man. How do you feel about this matchup between two solid strikers? I feel like this could be a fun one, man, to be honest with you. I'm hesitancies with Arce coming in here about a one-and-a-half-year layoff, but I do think he's a better fighter. I think his boxing is a bit sharper. His defense is better than Ewell's. Ewell's got the five-inch reach advantage, but how many fights have we seen Ewell in where he's got an even bigger reach advantage, yet he still struggles? Look at Erwin Rivera. He was so much longer than him. Fight went to a split decision. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, who's a great striker, don't get me wrong, still eight-inch reach, you know, fight wasn't really all that competitive, so... Uh, when I look at this fight here, I just think that, you know, if we're getting Arce at his best, he's just a better boxer for those reasons I mentioned. I, he does have his issues with output, Arce. Just there's periods of time where he just doesn't throw a whole lot. Um, that cost him on the scorecards against Hakeem Dawadu. Also cost him against uh, Shaman Marais, where he also got rocked a little bit there as well. Uh, but I think the better pure striker here is Arce. But where he has his big advantage on the ground, he's not a great wrestler, but uh, Ewell is a poor defensive grappler. It's gotten better through the years, but we've seen Ewell struggle on the ground. And how many fights, you know, Nathaniel Wood, uh, we've seen him get, you know, mounted by Anderson Dos Santos. So Arce is an underrated grappler, Tiger Showman, uh, second degree black belts, MMA black belts. Um, the issue though with Arce is he's just, again, not a good wrestler and he doesn't look for the takedowns often. So I agree with Arce being the favorite because he's got more passive victory and he's better everywhere the fight goes. But would I be surprised if Arce just doesn't, you know, put his foot on the gas for all 15 minutes? No. And Ewell makes it close. You know, Ewell's a guy that has good output himself. He used to struggle with uh, lack of variety, predictability on the feet, but now he's starting to add in more kicks to his game. So I do think he's getting better. He's actually checking the damn kicks for for a change he showed against uh, Chris Gutierrez. So um, I do see an improved fighter with Ewell. I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him make it competitive, but I do agree with Arce. He should be favored. I do like the spot for Arce as well, too. Liam, I'm actually going to swing it on over to you. How much of an effect do you think that two-year layoff is going to have on Arce? And obviously, do you think he ends up getting his hand raised this weekend? Um, you know, I would say that this is one that I'm sitting back uh, from a betting perspective, but I certainly hope so. Uh, Tiger Shulman's is sort of like a local gym to me. Um, I, I like to see those fighters succeed. Um, cashed on Mike Trezano um, against Ludovic Klein. So I like to see these guys when they can go out there and get a win. 
Uh, and I'm especially interested in backing them when it's an underdog price, but I think he's appropriately priced here as the favorite. Uh, that's why I'm not interested in betting it. I feel like it's a pretty accurate line. Uh, I think that Ewell has a chance, um, especially if he decides to keep this fight uh, a range kickboxing match uh, for the duration, then I think it's going to play out a lot closer because, again, we're dealing with a reach advantage for you. But I also think that if he decides to press the grappling advantage, like AJ was discussing, I feel like that's the path of least resistance. That's how he looks uh, to not only justify, but maybe even exceed that value. But I think given the the two-year layoff, that's why I'm not really interested in, in laying a minus 200 price on him. Uh, but I wish him the best of luck, and I hope that he gets the win. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I, I do favor uh, Arce here. I do agree with you guys that the line is probably where it should be. But I feel like Andre Yo is one of those guys that kind of gets overlooked within the MMA Twitter betting community and all that. I don't know why he seems to be the butt of the joke at sometimes, but the guy has some decent skills in terms of his striking. Uh, like we said, he has that long reach, like uh, always doesn't do the best in terms of managing that distance at times. But when he is on, his striking is amazing, Is not to mention his hand speed is very good as well. And I think that's going to be a little bit of an issue for Arce to adjust to right off the bat, especially coming off that long layoff that he's going to be dealing with. Uh, but if he can, you know, stay conscious within that first round. I think getting that rust off early there should help him, especially maybe even getting some clinch game and some wrestling going, which again, like AJ talked about, not the greatest, but still it should be something that he can take advantage of, especially with Ewell having poor grappling defense, in my opinion. Um, one thing that I, I kind of hammered on earlier in the week is that I think that it would benefit Arce to go out there and try to, you know, not replicate Chris Gutierrez's game plan to a T, but at least throw some leg kicks out there. Let's bat, let's damage that that lead leg, that lead wheel of uh, Andre Ewell to kind of take the pop off his shots, to take the speed off of his shots, and then start to push him and break him a little bit more. Like uh, one, of, one of the guys was also saying the Irwin Rivera fight, not really a good look for uh, Andre Ewell considering the, the size and reach advantage he had in that fight, but I believe that it was the forward pressure of Ewell or sorry, the four pressure from Irwin that was slowly starting to break Ewell. And I think that we can see the same thing here from Arce. If he just keeps his foot on the gas and just puts Ewell on the back foot, Ewell is going to start to suck one a little bit more. And I think that third round stoppage is definitely a possibility here for Arce. And that's definitely something I'm targeting. I think I gave it out on uh, propping you up earlier this morning. It was around plus 1400, if I'm not mistaken. Definitely worth the shot, especially considering that Ewell definitely does gas out. And Arce... He's a mean motherfucker. We definitely know that he does have finishing capabilities, so I can't wait to see him back inside the cage. Uh, Brady, I I'm curious to hear your thoughts in terms of why it seems like the MMA betting community is so low all the time on Andre Ewell. I think he has a decent skill set. Uh, and then, obviously, the next question is, who do you think ends up winning the fight? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like Andre Yule. I think he's a pretty underrated fighter. But yeah, in terms of this matchup, I think you all brought up a ton of good points. Um, the ones that I wanted to bring up would be uh, Yule slowing down. I think that's huge. Um, Arce is not going to slow down, like you mentioned, Locke, um, putting his foot on the pedal for 15 minutes. Um, I do think that Yule is going to slow down as the fight goes on. Um, so I do think that it could be, you know, somewhat competitive in the early round, round and a half, two rounds. It's just Yule um, definitely does slow down a ton. Um, in that third round. So, um, yeah, third round probably is definitely live. And then also the thing that AJ brought up is going to be uh, the ground advantage. I think he has a huge ground advantage. The problem is um, he doesn't use it as much as he should. Only uh, averages about a, a half a takedown for 15 minutes. I think he probably should go for takedowns here. I, I think if he does, um, I do think he'll definitely look like a minus 200. It's just something we haven't really seen him do uh, thus far in the UFC. So um, if I was Arce, I would mix in the takedowns here or there. And that's not only going to, if he, if he doesn't get those takedowns, it's still going to, um, you know, kind of wear out Andre Yule, make him, um, you know, stuff takedowns, you know, uh, take some energy off, around from away from Yule. And, um, you know, basically, I just think, uh, you know, Arce is going to, you know, look better and better as the fight goes on. I think Yule is going to slow down. I'm going to say, 
um, RCA decision. But yeah, the third round prop definitely could be live. Uh, no action here on this one for me. I think the line's uh, about right, but I do think it could be competitive at least like early. I like it. I like it. I, mean, I just can't wait for RCA to get step back in the cage. Since he made his debut, I believe it was against Danny Ige. I've always been excited to see this guy step inside the cage. And it was a bummer to see him sit on the shelf for two years now. But luckily, he's back in the cage. And hopefully, he can get a run going here. Because I think he definitely does have a top 10, top 15 type potential if he truly puts his game together. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. A fight that they actually bumped off the main card. We got Jordan Williams going up against Mickey Gall. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at... Uh, Minus 170 for Jordan Williams, plus 150-ish is a return on Mickey Gall. Uh, right off the bat, the first thing to note, Jordan Williams obviously coming down a weight class. He has competed at 170 pounds in the past, but for the last little while, he's been up at 185. Seems like his back is somewhat up against the wall here, which is why he's making the drop down to 170. I feel like it's a favorable matchup, but Liam, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off for us, brother. Do you see any edge in this matchup, and who do you think ends up winning? This is another kind of fight where I'm I'm left looking at it and I don't really have the strongest take either way. You know, I didn't think that, uh, you know, speaking of the final weigh-in, I didn't think that um, Williams looked that great when he was weighing in, uh, which I was concerned by. And I, I kind of felt like that was uh, a big part of the narrative coming in. I wasn't going to bet this fight until I saw the weigh-in. And I didn't love what I saw, um, especially at that kind of price. Um, and on the Mickey Gall side, you know, I don't think he's – terrible i just don't know that he's necessarily ufc level uh, i i think that he hasn't really had a chance to get the seasoning that he needs and it shows in his fights you know uh, i don't think that he has a backup plan a lot of the time i don't think that he has a clear process for how he's going to win these fights um or a system for pressing his advantage so i feel like this is kind of a sloppy fight um and you know it might be exciting um I think that uh, Williams has shown a pretty good chin for whatever that's worth. Uh, but does that carry down a weight class uh, given how bad he looked on the scale? Then I don't know. So this is a pass for me. Um, but good luck to both guys. And anybody who's taken action on this, salute you and good luck to you as well. But I will be passing. Absolutely. On my uh, best bets and props article that I dropped on the Patreon, I introduced the pass of the week, and this fight is the exact reason why. I, I want no action to do with this fight. There's just so many unknowns, especially what Jordan Williams is going to look like at 170 pounds here. Obviously, the improvements that we've been seeing from Mickey Gall, especially with the striking, being able to take the first round off of Mike Perry strictly off of striking is a great benefit for him, but we still got to see how it translates into fighting somebody that's not Mike Perry, that's not a bull, that just likes to move forward and doesn't really give a fuck about striking defense. So that's a little bit of a concern here. The only spot that has me slightly intrigued in terms of a possible bet is the under two and a half. Now, I know Jordan Williams has shown great durability, but I question the durability on the Mickey Gall side, especially when he's getting hit with big punches. Now, a lot of people are going to go back and look at that Mike Perry fight and, look, and be like, look, he survived 15 minutes. Well, Mike Perry, probably a much heavier hitter than, uh, than what Jordan Williams is bringing to the table. But it's been a long time since Mike Perry's knocked anybody out, and not to mention he took a grapple-heavy approach later in that fight, and so that kind of nullified the amount of power that he's going to be able to generate to put Mickey Gall's lights out. Both guys have questionable cardio. That's another question mark that I have about this fight, so that's a little bit uh, you know, disconcerting in terms of having a, a positive take on either side here, uh, but, but I do lean the Jordan Williams side. I do think he ends up finding that chin. I do think he ends up putting him down and possibly uh, uh, getting that knockout probably in the first or second round, but how you can have uber confidence in this fight is is beyond me so you know shout out to anybody that actually has a legitimate bet on this fight um but 
from my eyes, from my standpoint, I don't see an edge on either side. I think the line is accurate where it's currently at, so I'm not going to be taking on any action. If anything, if the degenerate in me gets the best of me come fight night, I might just take a poke at the under two and a half and pray for some violence so that at least this is a a fun fight to to, to watch. Uh, Brady, how do you feel about this matchup? Am I talking too much shit about this matchup, or do you see an edge in this fight? I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun, and I, I'm with you. I'm really looking hard at the under two and a half rounds, which is minus 120. I mean, you take a look at the their finish rates. Uh, Jordan Williams, an 89% finish rate. Mickey Gall, 83%, all 83% by submission. And in terms of you know picking a side here, I'm going to go with Jordan Williams. as a very good uh, takedown defense sitting at 88%. And we've seen him stuff takedowns on the regional scene as well. Very strong guy. And if it does stay striking for 15 minutes or up until there's a finish, um, I do favor the Jordan Williams side. I love this guy's toughness. He's a great chin, um, tons of volume as well. But man, he is very, very hittable. Both guys are hittable. So um, instead of like betting a side, which um, I don't really have much interest at all in Williams, especially Liam mentioned it, the weight cut to me, he, he didn't look that great. He didn't look that great. So um, both guys have bad cardio in general. So maybe that weight cut, you know, does do something to Jordan Williams. So I'm kind of looking at the under two and a half rounds. I have not bet it yet, but seeing the minus 120, I'm like, I'm like very, very intrigued. But in terms of picking a winner, I'll say that Jordan Williams uh, does stuff the takedowns, keeps on the feet and knocks out Gall. But if Gall is able to get this down to the mat, um, he's very good on the ground. So um, I'm going to pick Jordan Williams, but uh, I'm kind of looking violence here. I like it. I like it. AJ, I think that Mickey Gall was kind of given a short end of the stick, even though he got that huge popularity off of getting that CM Punk when the guy came into the UFC 1-0. and You know what I mean? You got He was forced to grow up in the UFC amongst some of these killers, and he's had up and down spots, obviously beating CM Punk, Sage Northcutt, uh, Salim Talhari, George Sullivan, but then when he fights guys that seem to have a little bit more resiliency and resistance, he seems to come up on the losing end. Um, how do you think he fares here against Jordan Williams, who also probably has his back up against the wall, and ultimately, how do you see this fight going down? Man, this is really tough, as you guys alluded to. Having a bet on this fight might keep me up at night, you know, in the lead up to the <laughs> to the fight. It's just really, and it's to Brady's point. I feel, and I I'm in this same group. You know, this is the fight that we're looking forward to, but nobody actually wants to admit on Twitter that we're looking forward to this sort of fight. But anyway, as it pertains to the matchup, I mean, Gall, you guys said it. I mean, he's just so green. But with being green, you know, comes significant improve significant excuse me improvements fight to fight. I did think his boxing looked better against Perry. He threw a nice one-two combo. But the thing with Gall is like he could go out there and look great, but he looks great for about six minutes i mean we, how many times are we going to make excuses for his cardio you know the weight cut against sanchez and you see him gassing against tuhari you know gassing against randy brown gassing against mike perry last time out the thing with cardio i and i just for me it's just a principle i like to practice i don't want to bet a far to a cardio or excuse me a fighter with bad cardio because it's just like they could be fighting a perfect fight and then they could just fall apart at any particular point in time conor mcgregor kind of comes with the same prototype right and he's so dangerous early on he's arguably the most dangerous guy pound for pound around one or two but if he cannot fight hard beyond that he struggles we've seen that time and time again and so when i look at this fight no to be fair to williams he did he didn't show great cardio last time out against him above he got tired there you guys brought up the weight cut didn't look good on the scales you don't know how it's going to hold up i do think that williams is a better mma fighter even though i have hesitancies about his defense brady made a good point there he's just so hittable especially with the straight right counter um i do think he's more dangerous than gall on the feet do you think he's got better output, better cardio of the two? Uh, should be a better wrestler. Gall's just never been a great wrestler. Pure, ju pure jiu-jitsu goes in favor of Gall. But then, you know, with 
being a good jujitsu ace, Gall just at times is not very urgent to scramble off of his back. He's content to play guard. We saw that against Randy Brown and, and Sanchez. And, uh, you know, he did a little bit better job against Perry. But, again, it goes back to that cardio. He could just lay flat on his back, and that could be a round for Williams just being on top, landing some ground and pound. So um, it's a really tough fight to call because of the cardio factor. Just uh, they're both very green in their careers, even though we do have high hopes for them down the down the line. Uh, but for me, it's just to stay away. I'm going to pick Williams, but it's not with a, the most conviction that I have on the card. All right, looks like everybody's pretty unanimous on this fight, but the main thing being we're probably going to pass unless it's a, a violence bet on the under two and a half in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, a fight that I'm very much excited for because I have a pretty good investment in it. We got Ian Heinish going up against Nasruddin Imovov, and I'll kick things off since we're swinging back around to me. Uh, I really like Ian Heinish in this spot, and I do think that it's a buy low spot for him as well considering he's one in three in his last four fights. But people fail to realize that the three fighters that he lost to uh, their strengths are pretty much Ian Heinish's strengths, and it showed in those fights that their strength of wrestling and grappling was slightly better than Ian Heinish in those spots, which is why he wasn't able to go to go to those takedowns as effectively as he did in his two UFC fights prior to that. Um, I do like, obviously, his grappling advantage here. I do think that he's going to be able to drag Imovov down to the ground here. There's so many times where it seems like Imovov is just a little bit too lost when he gets uh, tied up in the clinch up against the cage. He does fish for those uh, those guillotines and, and those front chokes, but it doesn't really come to fruition, at least not in his UFC career, or at least his last couple of fights. And I do think that Ian Heinish will be ready to, you know, um, protect and, and defend those types of chokes if it does actually end up coming uh, for his neck uh, in those instances. But, you know, add in the fact we've got Heinish full-time now out of Sanford MMA, not to mention training, you know, at times with Phil Hawes, who was Imovov's last opponent. I'm sure he has a couple of things to share with him in terms of saying, you know, this is how we beat Imovov, but not to mention Sanford MMA already has that game plan set in stone. They have the blueprint to go out there and beat Imovov, and I'd be surprised if we see Hanish go out there and just try to strike with them. One narrative that I've been hearing all week from a couple of different people is that, you know, can you really trust the fight IQ of Ian Hynish? Like, they're questioning him in terms of shooting takedowns on a guy like Calvin Gaslam. We know he's going to shoot takedowns. I believe he attempted six or seven takedowns in that fight. Maybe not the fight to attempt it with, but do you really think that he's going to go out there and try to outstrike a guy like Nasruddin Imovov? I'd be surprised if he does so. He might try to hang out there, you know, try to flex his Tiger Muay Thai muscles that he was able to uh, produce over a, a couple fight camps ago. But I do think the, the ultimate thing here is going to be him dragging this fight to the ground, getting some control time. And although in the UFC, he hasn't really garnered a lot of control time from the top, I feel like Imovov is probably one of the easier opponents that he's going to have to go up against in terms of securing those takedowns and getting some control time here huge step down in my opinion for highness to go to a guy to imovov and for imovov huge step up going from a guy from the haas to highness as well haas still making improvements on a fight to fight basis so i don't want to completely call him a scrub or anything like that uh but i do think that highness is a better uh suited skill set to implement the type of game plan that Sanford MMA wanted to go out there and implement with Phil Hawes. Better cardio, uh, maybe not better wrestling, but good enough wrestling that he should be able to ground this fight when he wants to. And then I believe in his durability that he should be able to eat a good shot from Imovov and still keep chugging forward. Um, obviously, size discrepancy that we saw at the stare downs here, but we definitely knew that coming into this as Imovov is, I believe, six foot three, if I'm not mistaken. But as wrestlers, we know the technical aspect of this, and I can't wait to get down to, to Liam for this fight. But if I'm not mistaken, from everything that I've learned, lower hips get the takedown and i believe that just helps him a little bit in terms of securing the takedown here which i don't think will uh meet much resistance he might whiff on the first couple takedowns but i think that the longer that this fight goes he should have the cardio advantage and the ability to drag this fight to the ground so i like heinish in the spot pretty 
pretty good if you guys could tell uh and he's definitely my lock of the night play for this uh for this card uh but i do like him at this spot especially at minus 150 i think we're getting immense value and i think people once this fight concludes they're gonna be like oh shit of course of course why didn't i pull the trigger at minus 150 uh brady am i too high on uh, high niche in this spot uh how do you uh feel about this fight all in all Nope. Uh, I'm with you. I have a play on Ian Heinish as well. And um, I guess you, you mentioned it, the level of competition that Ian Heinish has been fighting. I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, Cesar Ferreira, Antonio Carlos Jr., Derek Brunson, Amari Akhmadov, Gerald Mearshart, Calvin Gaslam. What you notice about all those guys is all those guys are, are really good grapplers. And you take a look at his career, and I really do believe that this is going to be, you know, one of her, one of his easier fights um, in his in his career here. And I guess pre-tape, I was kind of, you know, leaning dogger pass, especially at the line, because you take a look at it. Heinish has an 18% takedown accuracy. And then you go look at who, he, who he's going against. Derek Brunson, who has like a 94% takedown defense. He was 0 for 8 in takedowns against him. Um, against Kelvin Gaslam, I believe he was like 1 for 6 on takedowns. Amari Akhmedov, 3 for 10. So he, he's going for takedowns, which which is something you like to see. It's just um, the level of competition. And then you take a look at Imavava, very bad look in his last fight going against Phil Haas, where Haas not only was able to take down Imavov, but he controlled him for 11 minutes and six seconds. He made Haas look like he had cardio. And that was actually the first decision I believe Haas has ever won. So uh, definitely not a good look there. I, I think um, Imavov's path to victory is either A, a, a knockout, which uh, Heinish has never been knocked out. He's very, very durable. Or B, um, Heinish, for some reason, decides to not go for takedowns for the first time in his UFC career. So, yeah, I'm with you, Locke. Uh, I really do like Heinish here. I do have a play on him. I think he does mix in the takedowns. I think he gets a lot of them. I don't think Imovov's takedown defense is good. I will say he has a very good get-up game, but, man, Heinish is relentless. He's going to go after those takedowns. Um, you know, you know, strike for strike. Yeah, you probably do favor the striking um Imovov, but you got to think that Heinish is going to come in here with a, with a good game plan of mixing in the takedowns, controlling Imovov, and, uh, and winning a decision here. So I do like Heinish as well, and uh, probably to win a decision. I like it. I like it. AJ, am I too high on Heinish here, or, or do you like this spot as well? I can't objectively confirm if you're too high or not, but you guys definitely feel better <laughs> about him than, than I do. Um, I mean, you guys brought up some great points. I, I can't really dispute him. Um, my thing, though, is it's like, when we're talking about Haas, I mean, we, he's obviously got his issues. I think we could agree with cardio and durability at times. And we could agree that the guy is super dangerous. And when I try to, you know, look at Haas versus Imovov and, and Heinish versus Imovov, I can't I can't exactly draw the parallel there. I mean, with, with Haas, you got to worry about the technical striking, at least while he's got gas in the tank. He's got immense amount of power. Um, he's got more variety as a striker than Heinish. Um, so it, against uh, Imovov, he was just giving Imovov, I think, more things to think about. And, and Heinish has some tools on the feet. He's got power in that right hand. He's got a low kick, but he's not hes not a great striker. I mean, yeah, he's doing some work at Taiga Muay Thai, um, you know, Factory X Muay Thai, and now he's moving over to Sanford. So he's getting these good looks at different camps. Um, I do think for him to win, he's got to mix in them takedowns, like you guys said. Uh, to Brady's point, Imovov does have solid scrambling, solid get-ups. Uh, but we saw, you know, if you struggle to separate from the clinch and you and you can't work your way back up from bottom position at times, it's uh, there's going to be a lot of guys in the UFC, the upper echelon wrestlers are going to beat you. Um, I do favor Imovov as a striker. Maybe Heinish hurts him with a big shot and rocks him like Jordan Williams did. But beyond that, I think that the aggregate of the exchanges should favor Imovov. Um, and, you know, Heinish, he's a guy I just think that I want to back him confidently if he's, like, got a, a massive cardio edge or a massive athleticism edge, like against Gerald Mearshart and, and Antonio Carlos Jr. And, ah, man, I think it'd be dicey for him. So I think the the wrestling, the hustle, and the cardio, those go in favor of Heinish, but the the technical striking, um, that goes in favor of Imovov. So I, I think it's where the odds are around is fine. I favor Imovov, but just barely. Um 
I think it'll be a close fight. It comes down to the attrition of Heinish versus the technical striking of him above. I think it goes to the decision and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'd be uh, definitely ripping my hair out if Heinish goes out there and thinks that he can outstrike Imovov in this spot. I believe there was a fight, uh, Max Griffin versus Carlos Condor, where Max Griffin doesn't decide to use his grappling until the last fucking round. Luckily, it secures the third round for him, but uh, hopefully Heinish has a little bit better awareness, which I believe he should, especially considering how much he goes out there and actually attacks the grappling in the majority of his fights. Liam, uh, wrestling-wise, you know, where do you really rank Heinish, and do you think he'll be effective here against Imovov? So I think that Heinish, uh, he's got an interesting skill set, man. I, I actually kind of think he's a good anti-grappler, uh, except at the highest level. I think at the highest level, he he's just going to get out-grappled by guys like uh, Derek Brunson, by example, um, who's got good, uh, excellent um, wrestling. And in addition, he has very good Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I think that uh, those kind of matchups are always going to be a problem for Ian, but I do think that he's going to have much better um, wrestling and grappling than somebody like Imabov. Uh, what I don't know is that uh, he's going to be able to press the advantage the whole time. Uh, I think that he's going to shoot takedowns in this matchup. You know, I, I think that people um, are looking at the fact that he's only averaging around one takedown per 15 minutes and saying, ah, you know, maybe he doesn't really shoot them all that often. But then you look through every fighter that he's fought in the UFC is like a grapple heavy fighter, like just everyone. Uh, and so I think that this is the first time we're going to see him have a uh, striking base fighter um, who wants to strike particularly in front of him. And so I think there's some unknowns in that. Uh, and I also think there's some opportunity there for Ian Heinish. Um, I think that if he presses his grappling advantage, he could look um, like a, a bigger favorite. But I also think that there is a little bit of concern. He's a much older guy in this matchup, uh, something that I always look at as an indicator. So uh, I think that, you know, there's very good stats on Imabov on the feet. So that is just something to, to keep in mind, like a two to one differential. Um, granted, very limited sample size, but uh, I think that Imovov's uh, going to be winning the aggregate of striking exchanges, like AJ said, if it stays there. I think that Ian Heinish can press a wrestling advantage here, and I hope that he does. I think he might be fighting for his career here. Uh, we just saw somebody else uh, that Ian Heinish um, lost to, uh, Akhmedov, uh, get cut from the UFC, another grappling-centric fighter. And so I feel like this is a, a sink-or-swim type matchup for Ian Heinish, and I do think um narco cop i believe it was brought up the fact that he actually has like a house now and he's trading at yeah. sanford mma full-time i do think that's going to make a big difference uh and i think that we could see an improved product here for me and heinish but he is a lot older so uh banking on improvements from older fighters is a little tough uh, i haven't gotten involved yet but i could see myself getting involved if the line creeps back down under minus 150. I like it. I like it. A little bit more assurance for my guys here. AJ bringing some reality to to the situation, but that's why that's why I have him on here. I don't want guys to just automatically agree with me. And there are some times where it happens, and there are some times where it doesn't happen. But uh, that's why I bring on uh, different people every single week to give you guys as many different angles as possible. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got the prelim headliner. We got uh, Puna Hale Soriano going up against Brendan Allen. I was expecting to see some uh, love come in on either side throughout fight week, according to best fight odds it doesn't seem like it is but on my website intertops the main one that i use uh they actually have soriano at minus 130 and plus 110 for brendan allen so it seems to be uh at least widening there but at least for all the websites that are currently listed on best fight odds it still stays around minus 115 
pretty easy fight to break down in terms of grappler versus striker in this matchup, or still a little bit of a grappler out of the, the Soriano side. But I'm interested to hear everybody's takes in this spot. Brady, I'm actually going to start off with you, brother. Uh, who do you like in this matchup between Soriano and Allen? Yeah, so I, I bet Soriano about three weeks ago at minus 110, thinking the line would uh, move in his favor, but it, it did the opposite of that. It, it stayed at minus 110 for, for weeks, for weeks, up until recently, where we now see Soriano at minus 125, uh, minus 130. And, you know, looking into it, I, I really liked what I saw in terms of the Soriano side, but I can also see the, the arguments for Allen. Allen has fought the better competition. He has much, much more experience. If he can't get this fight down to the mat, um, he will have some success. But man, I'm sure everybody's heard it by now. A Soriano, um, he was a state champion wrestler in high school. He did wrestle D3 in college, uh, judo brown belt training at Extreme Couture. So you got to think they're going to have him ready. Um, and offensively, his takedowns are very good. I think he's a, a beast wrestler. It's just um, there isn't really any data or tape on his takedown defense. So he stuffed a massive zero takedowns thus far in the UFC. You take a look out on the regional scene. I didn't really see him stuff many, if any, takedowns, maybe like one or two here and there. So um, there are a lot of question marks on the takedown defense of Soriano, but he definitely is credentialed. And if you guys saw the, him at weigh-ins this week or, or, or today, this guy was jacked. He is huge. I know his back like is smaller. ridiculous, dude. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's like smaller in terms of like height and, and reach and all that. But man, he is he is jacked city. So, um, Allen, interesting note about him. Like you take a look at through his UFC career, the the two guys he had taken down was uh, Kevin Holland, who has notorious uh, really bad takedown defense, sitting at forty seven percent. And the other guy I did take down was Carl Roberson, who's notorious for getting submitted with with a forty five percent takedown defense. So. Other than that, he hasn't taken down anybody in the UFC. I, I found that really interesting. And there was a there was a stretch of three fights where Allen had zero takedowns. He was 0 for 1 in uh, the Strickland, Docus, and Breeze. I know Breeze ended pretty early, but he was 0 for 1 in those three fights combined. And then against Roberson, he goes back to his wrestling and he gets that submission. But I thought that was very weird. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people did where um, Allen attempted zero takedowns against Sean Strickland. And just got beat up for um, two and a half rounds and, and got finished after that. So I thought that was weird. Um, but his striking, I, I will say it is improving. His striking is improving, but man, he's hittable. He is so hittable. He has a negative 0.84 significant strike differential and a 39% striking defense. And I'll tell you right now, uh, you do not want to be hittable against Punahaley Soriano. This guy hits like an absolute truck. So I did get in on Soriano really early, like three weeks ago. Um, I did expect the line to move a little bit in his favor, um, not really doing much so, but I do like Soriano in this spot. I like him to stuff the takedowns, and I like him to uh, knock out Brendan Allen here. But if Allen is able to get this fight down to the mat, I do have him, um, do expect him to get success. Um, just in my opinion, I think that's kind of a, a big if. I do expect Soriano to stuff the takedowns and knock this guy out. I like it, AJ. It seems like the overwhelming response, at least from MMA Twitter and some of the predictors that I've been watching. Everybody likes Soriano, but the line is still considering uh, sticking around that that pick a mark. Uh, do you have any insight on the Allen side here? Do you like him in this spot? And uh, obviously, who do you who do you think ends up winning? Yeah, I'm actually going to play a little contrarian here. I, I do predict that Brandon Allen's going to win this fight. And what Brady said is absolutely true. I cannot dispute anything he said. When you talk about Brandon Allen, how hittable he is, I mean, he absorbed 90 head strikes in about six and a half minutes against Sean Strickland. Crazy. And you don't want to do that against a guy like Sean, uh, Sean Soriano. I mean, the dude packs a ton of power in them hands, and he's athletic enough to close the distance. He, I mean, he doesn't close distance technically well, but, man, he just closes it so fast. He's so explosive. He could just nuke anybody, really. Um, he's got a legit chance to get this thing done early. However, my analysis is more so predicated on, you know, what happens beyond that. And if I think that Soriano 
gets the knockout in X percent of time when this fight plays out. But I favor Allen if the fight extends just because even though Allen hasn't shown great cardio, we saw him slow down against Dawkins. He's just been a, a more experienced guy going past there. He, he went five rounds in LFA, you know, um, and there is, you know, reason to be optimistic about Allen's improvement as a fighter. I mean, you look at his resume, he's got a lot of fights, but he's a young guy and he trains at Sanford MMA. He, I thought his striking, you know, I agree with Brady hundred percent. It was so perplexing why he didn't even try a takedown against Sean Strickland when he was at clear striking disadvantage, but his technical striking there looked better than ever. Don't get me wrong. He was still crazy hittable, but the variety in which he threw, he threw that late kick, he threw better volume. Um, so we're talking about this fight. I think Soriano could win. But I think that for him to win, he most likely needs to get the knockout early. Uh, Brady said he comes from a high wrestling pedigree. Allen has bad takedown defense. I could see him taking down Allen, but get Allen on his back. Allen's going to be looking for them scrambles, reversals. He's going to be looking to sweep off of his back. Um, so I think Allen's going to be an interesting threat for Soriano if Soriano doesn't got it, get him out of there early. So I agree with this line being close because I think that a good chunk of the time, Soriano does knock out Allen early. But if Allen's able to survive, that's where I like Allen's chances a little bit more. So um, I like Allen here, but I, I favor him just ever so slightly, just barely. I completely understand. And you you actually put the nail on the head there in terms of like there, there is an absolute chance that uh, Allen can survive this early onslaught and then push it forward. And then the odds should heavily be in his favor in terms of taking home a victory. Liam, uh, who, who do you like in this matchup? And do you think that Soriano actually gets it done early in the spot? Now, Locke, you had asked me to break down wrestling before, and this is the matchup that uh, I felt like I had something uh, to offer here, which was people had talked about, you know, um, Puna's got good shot defense, which is true. Uh, like he could sprawl out if somebody goes for a single or a double leg. Um, I think he's a pretty athletic and fast scrambler, and I think because of his physicality, he's going to be very hard to scramble with. Uh, and I think he's going to be much more physical than Brendan Allen. Um Brendan Allen kind of likes to play the physicality game with people. Um, he likes to get in their face. And against somebody like Tom Breeze, he was able to implement that physicality. Uh, and I think that he's going to have a much harder time against somebody like Puna. Uh, you mentioned the, the size of Puna's back. I'm not trying to uh, be, you know, joking about it, but how can you lock your hands around somebody who has a back that size when they flex it? It's, it's going to be very difficult and that's where we see Brendan Allen go for his takedown attempts. You know, he's not a very good shot wrestler. I don't think he's going to be able to mix that in. I think he's going to spend a lot of time trying to pursue upper body takedowns and get muscled around. And I think that even in close, Puna's going to be able to hit him with power shots. So uh, I think that Puna's probably the side here. Um, I got involved uh, just like DFS at Puna at minus 110. I went one unit on that. Uh, and, you know, like AJ said, I do think that uh, a lot of his finishing so upside is early. Um, I think that he carries power in his hands uh, even as the fight goes on, but I do think he's going to spend the energy trying to get him out of there early. Uh, and I think that plus 385, I put 0.24 units down uh, Puna by KO round one. Uh, and I, I think that that covers a large amount of his win equity, and I like the price. So uh, I covered that. And uh, I'm expecting violence. I'm expecting fun. Uh, I was a little concerned with some of what I saw in the Pahota fight in terms of some awkwardness and scrambling, but I really think that that's just because he was overexcited knowing he was about to knock him out. And then he separated and knocked him out. So yeah. uh, I also think that Puna is uh, a brighter prospect than Brendan Allen. Um, that's how I feel about it. Um, but like AJ pointed to, I think he's spot on the money. Brendan Allen can rely on experience here. 
Uh, he's been in a lot of tough fights. He has fought the higher level of competition. So the longer the fight goes, probably want to start tipping those scales just a little bit towards Brendan Allen. But I like Puna early. I think he's going to nuke him fast. Uh, and that's that's the way I feel about the fight. If you're really hittable and somebody hits like a Mack truck, it's probably going to be a short night at the office. Uh, and we'll hope so with that plus 385 ticket. I like it. I like it. AJ, I'm actually going to pose this question to you. I'm very curious about your uh, insight regarding this. So it seems like the obvious outcome for Puna is going to be that KO, which is currently sits at plus 160. And then you have his betting line rough, roughly around that minus 110 line. I've said it before. I've heard other people say it as well in regards to why leave money on the table by taking his money line when his most likely outcome is to win by knockout. What do you think about that, especially with the lines that we were currently looking at? And how do you take that into your mind in terms of you know when you're betting and making your bets? I think that's a very fair point. I mean, if I'm doing an if-then statement in my head, if Soriano wins this fight, I think a good majority of the time it's by knockout. I mean, if I'm just investing in Soriano money line, the thing, and we'll get to this with Kosa and Yanez, it's provenness versus potential. I mean, it's all fine and good to assume the guy could could go on and fight 15 minutes. I just haven't seen that. And you said it off the top. As handicappers, we want to uh, give our takes off of stuff we've seen. And like, yeah, we saw him go three rounds against Pickett on the contender series with literally no resistance with the takedowns whatsoever. I'm sure there was a good lesson for him, but you know, he's still huffing and puffing against Dusko. You know, he's just, he just throws his strikes with such force that there's nothing from that based on his style to make me believe that this guy could fight hard for 15 minutes. Um, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he's improving, but we just haven't seen it just yet. So to your point, I do think that if I were to back Puna here, I'd rather take the KO prop just because that's, I think, the the good majority of his win condition, as was, you know, Conor McGregor's when he fought Dustin Poirier. You know, might as well just take the KO prop instead of, you know, whatever his money line was because he was very unlikely to beat Dustin in a decision there. So that's just kind of how I feel about these knockout or bust uh, prototype of fighters. So. I definitely like that take. And that's definitely my take with this fight specifically with Puna, right? Like, I'd rather take that KO at plus 160 or if I want to get a little bit extra greedy, take that round one at plus 300 as I do think that there's some solid spots there too to to attack this fight as that's probably his best way to win this. Liam, go ahead. What do you want to add, brother? Uh, I wanted to add, I actually did get involved on the knockout line as well. I forgot to track that uh, and the line has kind of moved, so I don't know if I'll be able to. But I had it at plus 175. Uh, Puno to win by knockout. I put down about 0.35 units on that as well. And I just wanted to say I'm wearing Baldwin Wallace representing Division Three wrestling, baby. Uh, and I think Puna Hellas Soriano, uh, you know, people might knock it because it ain't D1. But, uh, you know, I've heard a couple other cappers in the space who are aware D3 wrestling, a shade below. And uh, if you're a national champion, you are a contender uh, to walk on at any program in the country. So, that, that's a fact, and uh, I think that Punahele Soriano um, you know, might just have a, a grappling and wrestling advantage here. We'll have to wait and see. I think, obviously, the pure jiu-jitsu will favor Brendan Allen, but I think um, a, the kind of control that a national championship wrestler can exert, ask Jamie Pickett. Not that he's a great fighter, but uh, even when Puna was starting to feel tired, he was like, come here, and held him, and he could do nothing about it. Jamie Pickett's a big man, so I think that that's something to consider as well.
I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be picking Soriano as most guys on this panel seems to be picking early spot plus three hundred. I'm probably gonna take a sprinkle on that round one prop as I do think it holds some value, especially given uh again the hitability of Brendan Allen and the power that uh uh, Punahale Soriano possesses in his hands. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, I believe it is the start of the main card, which is when I always like to remind people we got 264 of y'all in the live stream right now. Let's hit that like, let's hit that subscribe, and then obviously check the description below to make sure you guys follow these guys on Twitter as well. You guys don't even have to type in their name. Just click the link and then hit follow. That's all you got to do. Trust me, you're going to thank me for it later. All right, let's get into the first fight on the main card, and it's the fight probably most people are excited about we got adrian yanez going up against randy costa got some chalk here on yanez he's coming in at minus 210 plus 190 plus 185 is the return on randy costa very intrigued by everybody's thoughts on this fight and if i'm not mistaken we're gonna go with aj to to kick things off for us here how do you feel about these uh, this fight between two very solid and dangerous strikers I feel like this fight's going to be an absolute banger, man. When we talk about each one of these guys coming off back-to-back -back highlight reel knockouts, I mean, it's just basically almost guaranteed violence, right? I mean, Randy Costa is a guy who, I mean, he's really exciting. I mean, he goes out there, he gets them quick knockouts. But just like we talked about last fight, I mean, there's nothing that inspires confidence in me that Costa could go out there and fight a hard 15 minutes. Maybe it's true. Uh, if you train with him, maybe you would know. Uh, he does train at that good camp in Sanford MMA. But the last time we saw this guy extended, Brandon Davis went out there, took his back. He gave him no resistance whatsoever, tapped into the rear naked choke. So just like we talked about last fight, if I'm back in Costa here, I might as well just take his KO line. There's just no reason for me to believe that he's going to win a decision clear. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, Yanez doesn't exactly dominate. He doesn't pull away in fights. He's more of like a methodical range striker. His striking is excellent, in my opinion. Uh, the counters are beautiful. Uh, he's obviously got an immense amount of power in his hands. He's very good at reading you, timing a counter. And then just we, as we saw last fight against Gustavo Lopez, you could just put your lights out with one big shot. Um you know, has uh, issues at times with output, but I just, as a guy that has been more experienced, been the full 15 minutes, I got to favor him if the fight gets extended. So, of course, Costa could go out there, get a quick knockout. He's dangerous. Um, I really like that. Even though it was only 41 seconds, he disguised that knockout so beautifully with that head kick, threw a straight punch, followed it up with a head kick. Uh, Journey Newsom didn't even see it coming. You know, there are tendencies of Inez. He does tend to drop his hands after throwing combos that there could be an opening there for Costa to land a big shot, but... In the grand scheme of things, I got to favor the fighter who's more experienced, you know, I think is better on the ground even of the two, even though he doesn't necessarily prefer to go there. Uh, better striker. I think that Costa's wild brawling style will force him to crash distance. That'll leave a countering opportunity for Inez, and Inez will knock him out uh, probably in round one or round two. So I'm going to pick Adrian Inez here. Costa could win early, but that's his main win condition, I think. Uh, Liam, it seems like the widespread uh, agreeance or everybody, something that everybody's agreeing on is the fact that Costa's win conditions are knockout, which currently sits at plus 420, and then uh, Costa in round one, which sits at plus 650. Do you think there's any value in those lines? And then ultimately, who do you think ends up winning this fight? Uh, it, it opened at like plus 950. Uh, I think that there was still value at plus 900, which is what I saw it at, and I didn't end up taking it, and now it's long gone. So uh, at plus 650, you know, um, I, I don't know necessarily how much value is left. Maybe there's some, but um, a lot of it's been extracted, in my opinion. Um, but I also think, you know, maybe his win conditions front loaded. That's obviously uh, all the wins that he has to his name. And we've seen him struggle in the second round against Brandon Davis in the UFC uh, where he was getting hurt. Kind of kind of seemed to take a little bit of an easy way out. I don't want to be a jerk about it, but uh, just, you know, was getting hurt by shots and went to his knees, got 
uh, choked out actually with a no hooks rear naked choke. It was a weird, it was a weird finish. Um, but Brandon Davis looked pretty good there. Like, you know, just kept his composure um, through a storm. You know, he was getting beat up a little bit in that first round. So I think that Yanez is probably, uh, or excuse me, uh, Costa is probably a talented prospect here, but I think Yanez is so much more patient, uh, a lot more measured, a lot more composed. Uh, I think that he has a process for winning fights over time. Um, whereas Costa is really trying to force the action right away. Um, and you know, <laughs> AJ pointed it out. I feel like that's going to leave him in a position to get countered, uh, badly. Uh, you know, Adrian Nunez, very, um, pretty counter striker gets his head just offline and, and measures people with those hooks, lasers people. Um, and he can also put straight punches together in combination. Um, and I think that, you know, Costa could catch him with something crazy, but we've seen good durability from Yanez uh, so far in his career. No reason to doubt his durability at this point. Um, so I think it should be a very fun fight, but I think Yanez is the much more uh, schooled, patient, and composed striker, and for that reason, he's more likely to win. But any fight that's going to be largely contested at striking range is probably subject to a little more variance, so you got to keep that in mind. Uh, I have Yanez closing out that parlay, uh, from earlier with Sajari Eubanks, I got Yanez at uh, minus 225. Uh, the price on that parlay was minus 117.58 units on that. So that's how I uh, chose to attack that. Um, didn't attack Yanez uh, by knockout, but I considered it. I had missed a lot of the line movement on that. So uh, I think Yanez is probably going to knock him out, but I think it's going to be a fun fight. And people are looking forward to this one for good reason. Yeah, it's not often that you see like a, a friendly rivalry like this where both guys are just so happy-go-lucky with each other on social media and even during fight week now with them being within uh, close proximity of each other. I'm trying to remember another one. It, usually Donald Storoni likes to be buddy-buddy with some people, but not to this extent where you're literally saying, my favorite snack is fucking Reese's Peace. My favorite drink is Dr. Pepper, and we're going to even this extent to 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 push it. Even the, the way in stare down, I'm sure you guys saw uh, Adrian – or sorry um, – Randy Costa motion that he's opening up a Dr. Pepper bottle and pouring it out because he doesn't give a shit about Dr. Pepper. I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, in terms of how these guys match up, it I always look to fade guys that come into the UFC with an undefeated record where all their wins are in the first round. And that's exactly what we were getting with Randy Costa. And it worked out, obviously, in the first fight with uh, Brandon Davis. But then after that, he was able to put out Boston Salmon. And a fight that I ended up actually betting on was the next one with Jordan Newsom. I thought he was going to have a clear grappling advantage. I thought he'd be able to you know, uh, endure that first round for Randy Costa, then get his takedowns and find that submission shortly thereafter. But didn't even get time to get started there. Randy Costa has some very good uh, striking. Some not, I don't want to call it wild. I want to call it like controlled chaos in a sense where he's able to kind of mask some certain shots and then hit you with something that you're not really expecting coming. I feel as though, uh, I'm putting a little bit too, made, too much weight on the potential improvements that we're going to be seeing from Randy Costa. It's been a while since we've seen him inside the cage, but he is obviously full-time out of Sanford as well now. You got to believe that he's going to be tightening certain things up to truly, you know, um, exaggerate the amount of talent that he truly has. His striking is great. His uh, overall Muay Thai game is straight, uh, very good in my opinion, uh, but it's just a gas tank issue that is a, too much of a red flag for me to go out there and back a guy like Randy Costa. He could go out there and get that first round knockout like AJ is talking about, and I'd be completely fine with that even if I took a little bit of chalk on Adrian Yanez in the spot. We know that's the way that Randy Costa will probably win this fight, but if it gets outside of that spot and considering the striking defense that I'd like to see from Adrian Yanez, I think he's going to be able to endure that early onslaught from Randy Costa and then start to put on his own game and eventually find that knockout. 
the issue is, what if we just see a completely different Randy Costa, right? A guy that doesn't go balls to the wall right off the bat. You got to believe that he's been instilled some sort of discipline from the camp that he's training at now and that we could potentially see a different version of him. With that said, though, I still think in a better version of him still ends up losing to the t striking style of Adrian Yanez, who just is just so crisp with the strikes, just finds his timing very well and doesn't really push anything too much. He waits for his openings and then capitalizes on them. I do think that th there's a term that I stumbled upon earlier this week when I was on Clint show where I call it hype tax. And I feel as though that there is a bit of hype tax on Adrian Yanez here, especially considering how he's been dispatching of his opponents over his last several fights. But I do think that Randy Costa has a bit of potential, but I, I, I want to stay away from him until I see him shore up those uh, those uh, cardio issues that I still see him out there having. I don't like backing guys with my money with guys that can look great for six to seven minutes like AJ was talking about earlier in the podcast. And then, you know, once that cardio wall hits, skills go all out the window. The less skill guy can go out there and definitely win the fight. Similar to a fight that we're going to be talking about later uh, on this card where I feel like you don't have to be the most skilled fighter. You need to have the cardio to go 50 minutes if it's required and then have the heart and determination to come out on top no matter the scenario and exchange that you're going through with your opponent. Um, Brady, I'm actually going to kick you off with the question here from our guy Derek Milner and then I'll let you get into your breakdown for this fight. Uh, he's saying your thoughts on a draw for this Costa fight and the price tag on it. The price tag is currently sitting at plus 6,500 for this fight to go to a draw. Do you even, even see it reaching 15 minutes? And then obviously, who do you end up uh, think wins this fight? I mean, um, I hope not because I, I have a bet on the on the violence bet there, and, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Um, you know, I, I do think Giannis wins for all the all the reasons you guys do mention. Um, he, he's never been finished. That's a really good thing there. But I do want to go through the kind of the record of Randy Costa. He starts his UFC career against an 0-4 guy. He gets a first round knockout in less than a minute. Then he fights an 0-0 guy, uh, 11 second knockout. Then he fights a, a five and nine guy gets a knockout in a minute in 11 seconds, then fights an 0-1 guy, knocks him out in less than a minute, and then he gets into the UFC, uh, fights Brandon Davis, and as you guys mentioned, um, that was the only fight where we have seen him get into the second round, and he didn't look good. He slowed down a ton. He gassed out, and he basically, like Liam said, he basically gave up and got submitted in that fight. So the only thing we have to go off of, um, you know, data-wise or, or tape-wise of you know, cost of getting to later rounds is that fight. And like you mentioned, that fight was in 2019, like two years ago. So I'm, I'm assuming he has made improvements, but um, when you put 120% into every shot, you're going to slow down. And that's just what Randy Costa does. So I do like the violence angle here. I, I did bet the fight doesn't go at minus 210 on DraftKings Sportsbook. And there's one other sports book where they had the under two and a half alternate line at like minus 175. I, I think that line's an absolute steal. Um, I do not see this fight going the distance. I think it's either like a, like a Randy Costa early in that first round. And if it does not end in the first round, I do think Giannis then takes over. I even think Giannis can potentially get a first round finish himself, but Giannis more likely to finish the fight later. Um, but for me, instead of laying like the minus 225 on Giannis, um, I did opt for the, the fight doesn't go to decision as it does cover both sides. It covers the, the first round for uh, Costa and it does cover the first, second, third round finish potential for Giannis as well. Yeah, I was hoping that the widely available total is going to be the two and a half, but unfortunately they put it at one and a half because it makes it a little bit tricky, right? This fight could potentially go into that second round. It could get a little bit sketchy if you're looking at the under one and a half, but I love the fight doesn't go to decision spot there. I'd be surprised if this fight reaches the judges' scorecards. I know they're all friendly and buddy-buddy with each other before the fight, but you're damn sure that they're going to go out there and try to give us a show and throw down this weekend uh, and potentially show us a finish. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got... 
Uh, we got Macy Barber going up against Miranda Maverick, a pivotal 125 scrap for the women's here. And I'm actually going to be giving uh, Liam the, the lead here. Minus 140 on Miranda Maverick, plus 120-ish for Macy Barber. How do you feel about this matchup, brother? Man, this is an interesting one, right? These are both girls that are like my age. Uh, so <laughs> it's a little weird, you know, breaking this fight down, right? Uh, I think that it's kind of weird matchmaking from the UFC. A, a few people have pointed that out, but you know, it's sort of a make or break type of fight here for Macy Barber, uh, given the fact she's coming off of two losses, uh, coming off some injuries and stuff. So, it, you know, I think that this is a really important fight for her to win uh, for her career, but I also think it's going to be a tough spot for her, right? We got a surging Miranda Maverick on the other side. Um, and, you know, she hasn't faced a very high level of competition, but the stats, um, you know, are very, very good on the Miranda Maverick side, uh, limited data set. Um, but I also was impressed by the physicality of Macy Barber that we saw at the weigh-ins. Um, you know, she looks, uh, you know, I, I felt that sometimes in the past at 125, she would come in looking a little soft. I feel like she looked um, very strong, very cut up for this fight. Um, and I think that she might be able to press a bit of a size uh, and strength advantage in this fight. Um, I don't have the clearest read how this is going to play out. Um, you know, I think that Miranda Maverick, if her grappling uh, is able to translate in this fight and I'm wrong, uh, then maybe she comes out looking like a minus 200 type favorite. But I think that the power um, is a differentiator on the feet. Uh, I think that she's much more powerful uh, than Miranda Maverick. Uh, though I do think Miranda Maverick has an interesting striking game. Uh, that elbow to the nose was beautiful. Uh, that cut open Leanna Jojo. But I also want to say that that was a pretty you know, competitive striking exchanges for the first two and a half minutes of that fight, which is a little concerning uh, given that we've seen Macy Barber hit and hurt people uh, like JJ Aldridge hadn't been finished to that point in her uh, pro fighting career and was tuning her up a little bit. And then in an instant, you know, she was like, Oh, I I've had enough of that. So uh, I think it's an interesting fight. I was a little tempted as the uh, line has continued to push out on the Maverick side uh, to get involved on Barber, but, so far, I've passed completely, and um, I think it's going to be a fun fight, make or break for both ladies. So, heck of, heck of a fight. You know, the matchmaking sink or swim right now. Speaking of matchmaking, somebody fire Macy Barber's manager. Why are you coming back off of two straight losses against a woman that's streaking right now and has all the abilities to go out there and beat you? And obviously, the odds are indicating that that uh, Maverick is slightly favored in this spot, and rightfully so, in my opinion. If I'm Macy Barber, still young, still early in her career, still trying to mold herself within the UFC, go out there and get another Hannah Cyphers type matchup. Let's just try to get back into knowing what winning feels like rather than being desperate against a girl that's very dangerous like Miranda Maverick. Um, Maverick, like we said, obviously undefeated in the UFC, is on a bit of a run herself. And I feel like she matches up very well against Macy Barber in this spot. I think the striking is going to be kind of competitive. Maybe looks a little bit more in Macy Barber's favor once this fight actually goes down, considering she's a little bit more flashy with the striking. Definitely has some pop on her shots, but I truly believe that Maverick has a, uh, just as much pop on her shots here too. I think the difference maker is going to be the fight IFQ of both women, right? I, I feel as though we'll see Miranda Maverick find those opportune moments to now uh, land takedowns or engage in the clinch, try uh, drag this fight to the ground where we've seen Macy Barber, you know, struggle in the past. I think that's the reason we've seen Macy Barber decide to go over to Team Alpha Male, try to round out that skill of wrestling and and try to, you know, work on that takedown defense. And even if she does get taken down, work on, you know, whether it's a guillotine or whatever it is, some sort of maneuver to try to get back to her feet to nullify the amount of control time that her opponents would get on her. 
I still think that's it's not going to be enough for her. One training camp won't be enough for her to go out there and try to uh, tie up those loose ends. She's been gym jumping for a while now, right? If you guys remember last time around, I believe she was over that Rufus sport and she was training with Izzy style wrestling and trying to get all of that uh, work, but it never really panned out for her, especially in her fight against uh, Alexa Grasso. Um, I like Maverick here. I do think that uh, she, she lands takedowns here. I do think she stays competitive in the striking uh, realm. I think she'll look for those opportune moments to land those takedowns and sway the judges, which is why I'm leaning Maverick here, but I don't really want much action at this current line. I'm just staying back. Uh, both women are talented. They have a high ceiling, in my opinion, and I don't really like seeing women this early in their careers going up against you, uh, going up against one each other, uh, especially to derail the potential uh, trajectory of their careers. Um, but I do think that uh, Maverick ends up getting her hand raised here she's looked pretty damn good in her past couple ufc fights and not to mention i think she's had maybe more experience especially on the invictus scene fighting the women that she was fighting over there you know some decent women in her division uh who didn't make it to the ufc at the time whereas macy barbara has just been steamrolling some of these chicks and hasn't really faced much adversity other than her last two fights where she ended up losing so i do like maverick here i'm gonna take her by decision brady am i am i too high here on maverick or do you like her as well I mean, maybe a, a little bit. I like her as well. It's just I feel like this fight could be very, very competitive. I kind of look at it the same way as you as I think the striking will be competitive. For me personally, I, I do probably favor the barber side in the striking, but I don't know. Maverick, every time we see her, her striking is just looking better and better. And it's just crazy to look at because you go back and watch you know, some of her fights from a couple of years ago and compare them to, you know, fights uh, these days. Her striking is improving leaps and bounds every time we see her. So uh, who knows? Maybe she leveled up again and she does have the striking advantage here. But I'm kind of with you. I, I think she's going to be the, uh, able to mix in the takedowns here or there. If she can't get on top of Barbara, I do think she'll have a lot of success. Uh, Barbara, you know, very strong. Leah mentioned, man, she looked really good at the weigh-ins to me. She looked like she had some fire in her uh, at the stare down. She looked mean. Um, so take that as you will. But as far as picking a winner, I'll, I'll go with Maverick to mix in those takedowns. But man, if, if she's not able to get the takedowns, because Barber does look really strong, she does have really good takedown defense. Um, it could be a very, very competitive fight, but I'll slightly go with Maverick here. Um, really, yeah, no, no interest for me at all in the Maverick money line, especially at minus 155. It was coming down a little bit. I think I saw it at like minus 120 something early in the week. Like even then, I didn't have interest. I think this is going to be a very close a very competitive fight, but I think the takedowns and the ground game of Maverick is going to uh, slightly edge it out here. So I'll go with Maverick by decision as, as well. Just not not a ton of confidence here. AJ, it seems like, at least from my side, and even other breakdowns that I've seen, a lot of people are putting a lot of stock into Miranda Maverick landing takedowns here for good reason. But there is the potential that Macy Barber tries to throw on a singlet of her own and try to get get some takedowns. We've seen Maverick had have some issues in the past in terms of dealing with grappling. Got to believe she's getting better now, though, too, in, term, in terms of defending those types of scenarios. How do you see this fight going down, and do you think there's too much emphasis on the fact that Maverick, or we're assuming that Maverick, is going to be landing takedowns at will in this spot? Yeah, I think the wrestling is a great point, right? Because, you know, going back on regional footage, Miranda Maverick's defensive wrestling, defensive grappling did not look good. She's getting taken out easily. She's getting controlled. But man, I mean, I know Jillian Robertson isn't the best grappler in the division, but she's certainly a capable one. And I thought Maverick looked much improved there. I mean, uh, she scrambled well. She did a good job of avoiding uh, getting her back taken with both hooks in. Uh, obviously didn't get finished. And how she ended that round, man, I mean, she was like losing the early going, but convinced two of the judges to score that second round for her, even though a lot of people thought Jillian won, uh, just because of how she ended it. And when we talk, when we talk about these two women, I mean, when you talk about significant improvements, you, you consider both of them in that category. Cause like, I gotta be honest, I put a, a bet on Grasso, not a huge one, but a bet on Grasso nonetheless to be Barber. And Barber made me sweat that a lot more than I thought it would. I mean, she just went out there, 
her striking looked better. I mean, there's obviously that clip of her like boxing from 10 feet away, yeah. but just in terms of just her overall technique, uh, she's obviously got power. Um, she's obviously got good volume. You know, she's not going to quit in there and, and more power to her. You know, she loses the first two rounds going gets tough, but like, how does she respond? She goes back out there round three. She wins round three clear. Um, to your point, I do like you, the point that you brought up about how, you know, a fighter moving a camp, it's rare that you see significant improvements in, in an area of their game that they're lacking with just a short amount of time, especially if they're known for gym hopping. Her wrestling has never been good, Barbara. I mean, it's just mainly like a body lock and a trip. I think Maverick's got the better wrestling of the two. She's got more variety with her takedowns, single leg trip, double leg. She could even mat return on you. So when we're talking about the wrestling and grappling advantage here. I'm with you guys. I think that's Maverick all day. She's got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, uh, looks to threaten it from her back. Uh, but I think she'll be in top position here most likely. And if she is on bottom, I think she could scramble better than Barber. Uh, she looks to, you know, take the back, sink in both hooks. And, you know, round two, you know, Grasso took Barber's back there, albeit it was brief and closed out the round. So uh, we know Barber could be exploited on the ground. We saw that in round one against Mataferi. Um, I think Maverick has the wrestling, has the grappling advantage. And I even think she's got the striking advantage. I mean, that's where Barber's going to be the most dangerous. Um, but when we talk about fighters getting into a rhythm, I mean, if you're fighting Miranda Maverick, you do not want her to get in a rhythm. I mean, we saw that that UFC debut against Joe Jewel, where she started a little slow. But man, once she just but started firing on all cylinders with her variety, with that elbow, her volume. She just seemed like an unstoppable force in there. So if you're Macy Barber and she has still shown issues with hit ability, she's going to be in deep trouble on the feet if she lets Maverick get in a rhythm. So Barber's got to disrupt that, get in her face, throw the power. Um, I favor Maverick here. I think she goes out here and gets it done. And decide, uh, I'm going to actually say by decision. I like it. I like it. Very interesting spot. Definitely uh, very intrigued to see how these women uh, perform this weekend and obviously how they uh, how they treat with the fallout. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, and I believe I'm kicking things off, and it's only fitting that it just so happened that my lock of the night play starts with me, with Ian Heinisch, and my dog of the night play starts with me as well here with Darren Elkins, as I do believe that he could go out there and dispel some of this recency bias that's out there about Derek Minner. So in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 145 for Derek Minner, plus 135 is plus 130 for Darren Elkins. I pulled the trigger at plus 133 on Darren Elkins in this spot as I do think that he's going to be a tough out for Derek Minner in this spot. And I started this off by saying recency bias, right? Everybody's believing in this mythical beast that Derek Minner all of a sudden is going over there and training with James Krause. And even though he had a very successful debut training out of Glory MMA, he goes out there and just grapple fucks Charles Rosso over three rounds. I think he's going to have a lot harder of a time doing the same thing here against Darren Elkins. Darren Elkins, if I'm not mistaken, holds the record for most takedowns in UFC featherweight history, close to 45 or 46 takedowns that he's landed. So he pretty much know what he's going to look to go out go out there and do. I will say this. I will be sweating it early here because that is definitely when Derek Minner is uh, the most dangerous and he could definitely snatch up a sub of some sort. But I do think that the veterancy, the experience, and the level of training that Darren Elkins has been getting over the last several years over that team Alpha Male will definitely help him uh, stay out of those submission threats that Derek Minner is going to be throwing up at him. Last time Darren Elkins got submitted, close to 11 years ago against now UFC champion Charles Oliveira. So I don't think that he's going to find himself in too much trouble when it gets to the to the grappling realm, albeit we can say, you know, if you want to put an asterisk there in terms of the types of jiu-jitsu players he's been going up against since the Charles Rosa fight, maybe not to the level of a Derek Miller or a Charles Oliveira, but at least it gives you a little bit more confidence that he has faced submissions in the past and he has gotten out of those situations as well. Darren Elkins, uh, I was alluding to this a little bit earlier in the podcast as well where we talked about 
He may not be the most skilled fighter, but his heart, determination, will, and ability to stay, sustain damage usually goes out there and breaks his opponents, and he's usually able to come out with a win at the end, end of that. Uh, this is another prime round three spot, in my opinion. I do believe that Derek Minner still has some grappling issues, or sorry, some, some cardio issues, but we all know, all of us on this uh, panel know, when you are having nothing but success against your opponent, your cardio will definitely look better than when you're meeting resistance. And I feel as though he's going to be meeting a lot of resistance here from Darren Elkins in this spot. So Darren Elkins might be the, the meme pick of the week, but I do think he has all the chops to go out there and stifle the game plan of Derek Minner, start putting it on him late, and then maybe getting that finish in that third round or getting a, a decision victory by grinding out the last two rounds. So don't write off Derek El Darren Elkins this early uh, I, I, although he is 37 years old at this point in time, that's something definitely to to to, to take note of. But I do think that uh, you know there is some recency bias playing into this line. Uh, I need to see more of this from Derek Minner before we can officially say that this is the new Derek Minner that he's going to go out there and just grapple fuck people with his level ex level of experience with his jujitsu. But I think that Darren Elkins is a very stiff test for him to go out there and try to replicate what he did against Charles Rosa. You guys know I love me some James Krause, but uh, unfortunately, I got to go against him this time around. And I do think that Darren Elkins, his experience and all that will play uh, a huge factor, not to mention experience. Obviously, uh, Mr. Minner has a wealth of it, has, I believe, 35, 36 fights to his record. But in terms of level of competition, man, this uh, Darren Elkins is definitely up there and definitely will pose a lot of threats to him. Uh, yeah, I got Darren Elkins. Derek Elkins round three is a spot that I'm going to be sprinkling, but I do think the most likely outcome is Darren Elkins via decision. But let's not get greedy. Plus 125, plus 130 is not too bad of a spot on Darren Elkins as a straight bet either. Brady, am I crazy, or are you gonna you you you're hopping on this island with uh with me on Darren Elkins? Well, there's there's been a lot of agreement on the show, so uh, I'm gonna continue to agree <laughs> and uh, and go with Darren Elkins here as well. I just I played it a little bit different. I don't hate. Um, the shot at all on, on the Darren Elkins money line for sure. But I did uh, choose to play it a different way. So I did the under two and a half rounds of plus 145. I thought there was so much recency bias, like you mentioned, on that line because Derek Minner, typically when you think of him, you think you think of violence. This guy has an 89% finish rate, 85% by submission, and he's been finished 10 times. Eight by submission, two by knockout as well. Uh, Darren Elkins, good finisher, good grappler in his own right, has been finished four times. And like you mentioned, if Minner wins, it's going to be in the first round. And again, uh, with the recency bias thing, he looked really good in his last fight against Charles Rosa, but we got to kind of look into it a little bit more and, and think, that's Charles Rosa. Charles Rosa has like a 45% takedown defense. Uh, Charles Rosa is content to, to lay on his back for 15 minutes, and that's just kind of what happened. Um, Darren Elkins is going to do the complete opposite. He's going to make uh, Minner work. He's going to scramble. He's going to look for reversals and sweeps. He's going to uh, get up if he does get taken down. And I don't know if I'm, I'm sold on the Minner cardio. I think it was more so of Charles Rosa just not really doing anything. And, and somebody commented this on my video earlier in the week. I thought it was hilarious and, and very true that uh, Charles Rosa made Justin James look like he had cardio. I mean, Justin <laughs> James went out there and he won a third round. Justin James won a third round. So um, I think looking just into the last fight of the, the Rosa fight could be a, a terrible mistake here. And I, I do like Elkins to survive that early storm. You mentioned a good point that um, he's been fighting some, some solid grapplers throughout his career and he hasn't been subbed in like 11 years against Charles Oliveira. So survive that first round and Minner is going to do Minner things. And typically when Minner does not get that sub, he gets submitted himself. So I'm with you. I also played the third round prop 0.25 units on uh, Elkins in the third round plus 1800. I like that a lot. I like the under and yeah, the money line is not terrible as well. So I'm with, I'm with you. I like Elkins and I'm going to say Elkins uh, third round finish. Let's go, Brady. AJ, bring some, uh, bring some reality to us. Smack us with that contrarian take or do you actually like Elkins here as well? 
You know, I've been going on a scavenger hunt all week on Twitter, trying to find the guy that is picking Derek Minner in this fight, <laughs> and I just can't find him yet. I mean, maybe he comes up on fight day, but who knows? But it's just funny, man. Um, you know, I think you guys brought up a lot of good points, and, and Brady's point about round three of, of the James Rosa fight goes to show that anything is possible in this fight game. It's it's crazy how that all works out. But as you guys pointed out, I mean, yeah, I've just seen you know Minner struggle so many times on the regional scene to think that he's all of a sudden a changed man. And it's really easy to look good against a guy who's just willing to play guard for 15 minutes and Charles Rosa versus a guy in Darren Elkins, who every time we've seen him taken down, he's not a settler. He just works back to his feet and he's a better wrestler than Minner, even at this stage of his career. I do think that Elkins is a regressed version of his prime self, but here's the thing. He could still win the fight at this point in his career. It's not as if like he's so far gone that he's, he can't go out here and get a dominant decision. We just saw him a few months ago attempt 21 takedowns against Eduardo Garagori, land seven of them, take the back in round three. He's still got that patented toughness, even though he's got the issues with the scar tissue, the bleeding. We know the guy's just going to fight hard for 15 minutes. Um, so when I look at the fight, you know, if Elkins gets a takedown, gets in top position, I think he's a threat to pass. I think he could get in dominant position, and I think he could work for a, a submission here. Um, as you guys pointed out, Minner will be very dangerous early. Uh, maybe he rocks Elkins with a punch on the feet like he did with uh, Rosa. We know Elkins is so crazy hittable and everything. But here's the thing about Minner. He's only got one win in his whole career by TKO KO. And he just, he doesn't seem to me as a striker. Every footage I've seen of Minner, he's just, his striking is a means to an end. It's to strike, to get the clinch, to try and take you down. So he's not like, yeah, sure, anything is possible on the feet. I don't think he's comfortable standing on the feet outside of a low kick. So I'd even favor, dare I say, Elkins as a striker just based on output. Uh, he's also got a little bit of reach on him as well. So um, I really like your guys' take. I think Elkins goes out here, uh, gets the job done. I think he could land takedowns. I'm not sure about the finish, honestly, because when I went back and watched the Dawson sequence, um, you know, Dawson, I think, is a little bit more aggressive with his guard passing the Elkins, a little bit more dangerous of a finisher. So um, although a finish wouldn't surprise me, I think we could see the fight maybe play on a bit here. Elkins got a massive cardio advantage. Uh, he's as tough as they come, wrestling advantage. I think Elkins goes out here, gets the damn thing done. I like it. I like it, Liam. It seems like you were potentially signaling that you might be a, a Derek Minner truther in this spot. Uh, how do you feel about this matchup, and who do you think gets their hand raised? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, this is my lock of the night or something like that, you know, uh, certainly not that level of confidence. But, you know, I feel like my only differentiation between what the boys have said so far and what my opinion on this fight would be is that, you know, I think that um, – I'm, I'm trying to uh, look at Darren Elkins today and what I can expect from him today. And uh, like you said, he got seven takedowns on a, on a massive amount of attempts against a guy who really can't wrestle very well at all um, in Eduardo Garagori. Meanwhile, we got Derek Minner here who seems to be coming into his own in a few ways. You know, I, I, he got the Laramie win as well. Uh, Grant Dawson came in four pounds overweight for that fight. Uh, and Derek Minner was still giving him absolute hell for two and a half minutes and uh, trying to kill him. You know, I feel like he was angry that he missed weight and he was uh, trying to uh, swing for the fences and also trying to submit him. Um, and now I do think, you know, is the Charles Rosa performance all the data we need to say Derek Minner's a changed man? No, I, I don't think that that's fair either. But I think that against a 37-year-old, he's 31 um, he's, he's got, uh, you know, a wealth of experience himself on the regional scene in Derek Minner. Uh, I feel like we're getting a guy who's coming into his prime. He's, it, this is like the best we're going to get from Derek Minner probably in his career, if not, uh, in the next year or two. 
And meanwhile, we got Darren Elkins, who you talked about. He's got all these takedowns accrued. How many more does uh, Darren Elkins have left? I thought he looked terrible at weigh-ins. Uh, you know, not to say that he he normally looks uh, exceptional, but I did not think that he looked great at weigh-ins. I thought he looked a little shaky. Um, and I think that cardio is something that starts to falter in these older guys. It's something that we see. Um, you know, even talented fighters, their cardio might be something that starts to fall off. Even their work, they're trying to work as hard, but they just can't do it uh, when they're pushing at a live pace with a resisting opponent. And I think it's going to be a grueling fight one way or the other. Uh, I thought that the people who are on the fight ends by submission uh, at plus money were were uh, onto something. I think both guys are live to sub here. I think it's going to be a grappling heavy fight, but I like the younger, fresher uh, guy in Derek Minner. And I do think that AJ made a valid point. You know, I don't know that he has cleaner, uh, patient striking like Yanez, but I do think he has power. Uh, and we have Darren Elkins getting dropped all over the place by Ryan Hall. So I, I think it is at least a live possibility that he gets cracked on the feet. And it doesn't matter how good you are at, uh, you know, jujitsu if you're rocked. And I think that if he gets rocked, he could get submitted here. Uh, and I really think that that's what, um, you know, might be the, the differentiating factor is that, you know, for a long time, Darren Elkins could rely on his durability, the damage. He's taken an, a metric S ton of damage. And so I think at some point that catches up with you. I think Derek Minner might be the guy who could do that. Um, and, you know, I think that because Elkins is a little bit older now, maybe he could ride out that, you know, lay and pray type uh, half guard finish. And it's not uh, a high percentage, but I do think it's a possibility that we just see an even bigger regression from Elkins here. He's coming back off a bit of a layoff himself. All right. I definitely like the points that you're making. That's a decent defense of uh, what seems to be an island that you're going to be on here with Derek Minner. But uh, I, I definitely I, I see exactly where you're going to be coming from here. All right. Let's move on to the co-main event here. I didn't put uh, my money where my mouth is, by the way. So oh, <laughs> come on, Liam. After all that, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the co-main event here. We got Kyler Phillips going up against Holly and Paiva. Heavy steam on Kyler Phillips all week, but he seems to be settling out around that minus 275 range. Uh, return on Paiva, roughly around plus 240, plus 250. Brady, I'll hand this one over to you to kick us off. How do you feel about this matchup between two promising bantamweights? Yeah, I'm excited for this fight. I mean, I'm, I'm more excited than this fight for this fight than the Chazon Lad fight, personally. I think it's a, a great <laughs> co-main event. Uh, but yeah, I, I did bet uh, Kyler Phillips uh, about three weeks ago. I got him at minus 215. We've seen a, a ton of money come in on him. I think he reached like minus 300 at some point. At that point, I was like, hey, come on. That's getting yeah. a little bit too wide there. And, and even where the line's at now, I think it's, you know, slightly wide, uh, but not too off in my opinion. Um, and I'll kind of talk about why. So Piva is coming up to 135 here, which I, I do think that's going to be great for him. I do think, you know, he's not going to have to really like kill himself to make weight. And he did pull out of a fight. Um, I think it was last fight. I forget who he was going to fight, but pulled out of that due to a, a botched weight cut. I think he was hospitalized as well. And he did miss weight uh, against Zalgus as well. So it's good to see him come up here to 135. And I do think there's going to be some advantages to that and some disadvantages. Uh, the advantages is he's not going to kill himself to make weight. Um, the disadvantage is going to be he's not going to be fighting like really small fighters like he has been. You kind of take a look at his career. Um, you know, he fought Zalgus and Gulab in a, in a very competitive fight that I personally scored for Zalgus there. Zalgus is 5'4", uh, Mark De La Rosa 5'6". 
uh, Bonturin 5-5, Kaikara France 5-4. Um, so this is going to be uh, the biggest fighter he's fought in the UFC by a, a significant margin in Kyler Phillips. And, you know, a stat that really stuck out to me, and you can definitely see it in the tape too, is going to be the, the striking defense of, of Paiva. Uh, Paiva actually has a negative significant strike differential of, of 0.43 something you don't like to see. And then also a 51% striking defense. So he is very hittable. You can see it in the tape as well. And I think on the feet, at least early, I think Kyler Phillips is going to have a ton of success. Um, you know, Raleigh and Piva is somebody that actually got outstruck in terms of the significant strikes against Mark De La Rosa. I think De La Rosa outstruck him like 23 to 19 in terms of significant strikes. I think Phillips is going to have a lot of success striking early. And then another uh, huge thing, in my opinion, is going to be the takedowns. We have seen Piva taken down in every single fight, contender series and UFC combined, outside of the Mark De La Rosa fight. Mark De La Rosa is somebody that has since then been cut. Mark De La Rosa, somebody that has a 13% takedown accuracy. So if uh, Phillips does not like how it's going on the feet, I think it's a legit possibility that he does mix in the takedowns. I mean, if Zalgas Sumakulov, 5-4 Zalgas is taking you down two times, um, Bon Turin taking you down two times. Don't get me wrong, Bon Turin's a, a very good wrestler. And then Kaikar France, the, the striker's taking you down two times. Um, I think there's a, a good possibility that Kyler can mix in those takedowns. Um, and it's going to be nice to see, uh, you know, Paiva fight somebody that's not, you know, 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five like he has been. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a competitive fight, at least later in the fight. We have seen Phillips slow down. That's kind of the only thing I'm worried about. Um, but, yeah, I, I like Phillips here. I like him to get it done by decision. I think he can win 30-27, 29-28 uh, at the worst. I think that third round um, will be very competitive. But even then, I kind of took a look at it. And, you know, Paiva is not much of a finisher, only a 35% finish rate. Kyler Phillips, very durable. Um, never been finished, never been knocked out, never been submitted. So I think Paiva for him to win would be by decision, which by the way, Paiva by decision is plus 450. So if you do like Paiva, that's probably a good look. But for me personally, I'm on Phillips. I got in early like three weeks ago. This was something I definitely circled, something I wanted to get on early. And um, yeah, the line movement is um, very crazy, but I, I do think it's, it's slightly off, but not off uh, by much in my opinion. So give me Kyler Phillips by decision. I like it. AJ, how do you feel about this matchup? For for me personally, I'll just say right off the bat, I feel like there's a bit of hype tax here on yeah. Kyler Phillips. But how do you feel about this matchup between uh, Paiva and uh, Phillips? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't too long ago where Kyler Phillips was facing UFC debutant Cameron Ellison. He was, you know, around four to one, but it's still like the last time he's a huge, huge favorite. So I think with him coming off a spectacular win against Song Yudong, it's it's well deserved. And I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Holly and Paiva is a guy who excelled a lot at flyweight because he was so much longer than these guys. Now that he's not so much longer, he's actually going to be at a reach disadvantage here for uh, Kyler Phillips. And you guys brought up about a good point about Paiva's hitability. It's just going to mean that he's even more hittable. Unfortunately, Phillips is so fast. I'm really high on this guy. Uh, he's got very good variety, pace with his striking, and I think he's got great cardio, man. You know, he trains at the MMA lab with guys like Casey Kenny and Sean O'Malley and company. I mean, that's a great camp, a household van away uh, camp. And I mean, this guy is a great grappler, dare I say. I mean, he when he gets on top of dudes, it's guard passing. It is aggressive ground and pound. It is just, I'm going to relentlessly pursue the finish and like, I'm just going to overwhelm the guy. Like this guy will go nonstop for that finish for 15 hard minutes. Uh, we saw him slow down a little bit against Song Yudong lay on his back. He lost round three last time out, but Song Yidong's a top 15 bantamweight. Um, I don't think Holly and Paiva is a top 15 bantamweight at this point. So when these two are striking out, I favor Phillips. He's just more varied as a striker, better defensively. I just think he fights better at range and has a higher pace. And if there are takedowns and top control to be had here, so I do, I, fa I favor Phillips there as well. So Phillips is just better than him everywhere. I mean, I don't think it's by a tremendous margin, but you know, when you got a guy who's better than him everywhere and he's more proven at this weight class, I think he should be a big favorite. So uh, Kyler Phillips is, is going to get the decision here, I think. Liam, how are you feeling about the heavy favorite Kyler Phillips? And do you think that Paiva has any shot to win this fight? 
You know, I think sometimes, like AJ's talking about, uh, we see these matchups where it might be um, very likely that somebody wins a 29-28 decision, by example. Uh, and I do think that it's it's a lot of upside on the fact that Kyler Phillips is, is likely to win these first two rounds in this fight. Um, got better tools, more striking output, um, should be the longer fighter, bigger fighter, uh, more naturally sized 135 pounder. But I must say, I thought Hallie and Paiva looked pretty decent at the weigh-ins, you know, looked like a solid 135 pounder. We'll see how that translates. Obviously he won't have the reach advantage that he's used to having, but I thought that he at least looked a little bit filled out, uh, which is good to see, uh, moving up a weight class. But I'll also say, you know, my only slight concern was that I thought Kyler Phillips looked a little shaky too at the weigh-in. I thought he looked a little, um, spent, um, very relieved to make the weight. Uh, he's a big guy making the weight class. So I think as long as he refuels properly, this should be a Kyler Phillips win. Um, I think that uh, he should be able to press an advantage on the feet primarily. Um, you know, I think that uh, Paiva's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, you know, he should tread cautiously if he's going to take the fight to the ground. But I also think we've seen, um, you know, no reason to doubt Kyler Phillips uh, in terms of his grappling. He seems pretty confident there as well. So, I like Kyler Phillips. I don't like the price. I, I think you pointed out rightly there's a hype tax there. So it's a fight that I'm excited. Uh, it's going to get a lot of eyeballs on it. I think it should be a fun one. But I, I also don't know how long Halley and Paiva is for this bantamweight division because it's such a meat grinder in the UFC. Not to even discount the guy. I'm sure he's you know a talented fighter, got a great record of 23. But uh, I think that once he starts swimming with these sharks here, uh, in the 135 pound waters and without that size advantage, it's probably going to be uh, a tough road ahead unless we see some significant improvements. Uh, I'm glad that you touched on the weigh-in this morning because I do think that he was obviously the the most noticeable uh, fighter that was affected by the wake-up, but I don't think it's going to be to the extent where it truly affects his performance come tomorrow night. With that said, I feel like I'm on a, a bit of an island here. I do think that Paiva is a little bit more skilled than people are giving him credit for. I truly thought that he was going to be the dark horse in that 125-pound division if he could continuously make that weight and you know do it comfortably. Obviously, didn't work out for him, especially last time around, even though he won against Zumagulov. I thought he was a little bit compromised in that fight, and a lot of people obviously think that Zumagulov deserved to win that fight. I am definitely one of them, even though I thought that you know, even though I'm trying to find the positives in Paiva in this fight, you guys are correct. He's coming up a weight, a bit of a short notice spot. But I did speak to somebody that actually uh, works a little bit with him uh, over the Alpha Man. They're like the one I asked them. I'm like, what is your like? What's your brief synopsis or what are your thoughts quickly about Paiva? And he goes, I don't know what the fuck this guy was trying to do, making 125 pounds time and time again. That's the worst decision you could ever make. I think he's going to look a lot better at 135 pounds, and hopefully we'll see it tomorrow night. With that said, I think Paiva, optically speaking, he could have make a case to win this fight. More often than not, you see him being the one pushing the pace. You see him the one kind of backing his opponent up and landing some strikes, which is why I think that you know the judges were slightly swayed his way for that Zalgas-Zumagula fight, even though Zumagula landed some opportune takedowns to potentially sway the judges. It seemed like they were definitely scoring the cage control and the some of the combinations that Paiva was landing in that fight. So good win for him there, you know, just to sway the judges, I should say. There have been times in Kyler Phillips' fights where I feel like he allows his opponent to kind of dictate the pace and allow them to kind of put him on his back foot. But that almost works into his game plan as well, right? He's a pretty good matador. He does a good job in terms of sticking and moving, getting out of the way of big shots. But there are fights like the Gabriel Silva fight that kind of sticks out to me a little bit where he's just getting pushed back. And even though Silva didn't win a round of that fight, seeing the success that he was having in terms of pushing him back and throwing some combination gives me some belief that Paiva, who I believe is a better striker than Gabriel Silva, should have some success, some success in terms of landing some good shots and optically speaking, sway the judges his way in this fight. 
weight. Um, I do think Paiva is definitely very skilled. Uh, working over there at Team Alpha, I think he's going to even acquire even more skills in this fight. Black belt in jiu-jitsu, as we've already spoken about, I definitely think that's a good thing for him to have in his back pocket, especially if Kyler Phillips decides to take this fight to the ground, which I think inevitably will happen. But I do trust in Paiva's ability to kind of nullify the amount of damage that's going to be coming back his way and potentially work back to his feet or even find a submission. I doubt he'll submit Kyler Phillips in the spot as Phillips is a pretty well-versed. I believe he's a brown belt at this time, very well-versed on the ground as well. So I think he has some good chops there. But I think this line is just a little bit too crazy for me. Plus 220, I took a half unit shot on Paiva in that spot. And I might even sprinkle a little bit on his decision prop. Like Brady was talking about, around plus 450, I think is what it's sitting at. I think this is going to be a closer fight than the line indicates. And I think I'd rather be holding that that ticket on, on Paiva in the spot rather than that ticket on Kyler Phillips. A fight that I like to kind of allude to, especially since that happened quite recently, Jessica I against Jennifer Maya. There's people sticking their flag on the ground on either side here. But if I look over at MMA decisions, split down the middle, not to mention it seemed like the fan scoring was in favor of uh, Jessica I in that spot. Say what you want. You're getting value out of your plus 165 spot and that with it being as close as that was. And I think that we're going to get the same thing here with Paiva and Phillips. He might end up losing the fight, but I'm going to be happy with that plus 220 ticket that I'm taking a shot on here. And again, I, I, I'm very... I'm a little bit higher on Paiva as most than most people seem to be, but I do think he has the chops to, again, optically speaking, make this a much closer fight than it is. Last thing I'll say, you guys already touched on it, though. Striking defense could have used a little bit of work. When he's on, though, his head movement seems to be pretty good, but it's just not for the majority of the fight. It's just there are times where he gets clipped and he gets hit. Uh, I do believe in his durability. I think he'll be able to take the shots of Phillips, and I think with him pushing the pace, staying in the face of uh, Phillips, putting him on his back foot, that should allow Phillips, or, or at least uh, Paiva, to take advantage of the possible cardio issues and the decline in activity that we see from Phillips later in fights, which could help him secure that third round. And then, in my opinion, it should come down to who wins that second round to win this fight, because I do think the earlier this fight is, Phillips has the advantage. The later that it goes, I think that Paiva could start swinging the momentum in his favor here. So I'm more than happy to take the half unit shot at plus 220 on Paiva here. All right. I'm happy on that island. I'm completely okay with that. But we're going to move on to the main event here. And this is another spot where I want to remind the... 314 live viewers that we currently have hit that like hit that subscribe and then obviously follow these guys on twitter i have their links attached in the description below all right main event time Corey sandhagen tj dillashaw very much excited for this fight i believe we got um minus uh yeah minus 200 for Corey sandhagen plus 185 for tj dillashaw very very intriguing fight here former bantamweight goat as i uh, started off at the top of the show going up against a very hot prospect here and Corey sanding and trying to get the biggest win of his career aj i'm gonna let you kick this one off for us brother how are you feeling about this matchup between these two bantamweight highlight reels both these guys have very fun fights and have some decent knockouts on the record as well i can't wait to see how this one plays out how do you see it playing out it's tough to give a take here, to be honest with you. There is just so many red flags on TJ Dillashaw. He got two and a half year layoff. He's coming off a stoppage loss, tested positive for EPO. Um, and then I listened to an interview with him recently. He's got a business that is doing very, very well. And, and God bless him for that. But the thing is, if he's making more money doing this other business, then he been on record fighting as a championship level fighter. It just makes me question, you know, how motivated he he is at this point. You know, at 35 years of age at Bantamweight, where the speed speed is so important in this in this sport, we know that, but it's extremely compelling at the smaller weight classes. We're just these guys, all these guys are great athletes. They're so sharp. You could get away with not being the fastest guy at those upper weight classes because you could get by with power, etc. Um, 
So TJ, when you analyze him as a fighter, he's exceptionally skilled, man. He's, he fights at a high pace. He's a great technical striker. He's kicks on the outside. I thought his game plan against Lineker was excellent. Just limited the pocket exchanges. And he's a great wrestler, man. Uh, Sanhagen, I do favor him as a striker. He's a little bit longer than TJ. Uh, should have some more success at range with his kicks. Um, should be close though. I don't favor Sanhagen by a wide margin, but I do favor him at distance and with the durability. We've seen DJ hurt more than once against Garbrandt, both times against, uh, against Zahudo, uh, even going way back against Hugo Viana as well. Um, so yeah, even though Sanhagen, he hasn't shown this big one hitter quitter power in his hands. He's really dangerous with them legs, man. We saw that these last two fights. So, um, you know, I think Sanhagen, if there's a finish on the feet, it'd more likely come from him, but the thing that makes me really hesitant with Sanhagen, man, if there's a knock on his game, it's that takedown defense, man. We've seen him taken down by pretty much everybody who's wanted him down. You know, Arsene Arnett took him down. You know, I know he's gotten better since then, but like Marlon Moraes took him down. He's not a he's not really a takedown artist. And TJ is the best wrestler that Sanhagen has fought by far. And so when I look at this fight, man, I think that I understand why Sanhagen's the favorite. You just have less questions on him. But stylistically, it's not a terrible fight for TJ because on the feet, it's very close. I favor Sanhagen, but not by this blood of a margin. And then if TJ has the takedowns as a path of victory to mix him in, even though I'm not going to you know, count on him to go out there, take Corey down and control him for four minutes in a round. He still has those in his arsenal to get Sanhagen thinking, get, get him hesitant on them kicks and things like that. So I'm actually going to go. We've been going on a lot of islands on this pod, and I love it, man, because when everybody <laughs> agrees, you know, the thing with people, like when they listen to us, because like if we're all agreeing, it makes seem like, you know, this this other outcome can't happen. But when we're disagreeing, it kind of empowers them to make that decision, just like we're making our decisions right here. So I'm actually going to pick TJ Dillashaw to win here. And so it's not with a ton of confidence, and it don't mean just because I'm bet that I'm picking him as an underdog that I'm betting him. I got a lot of concerns about him. These are a huge, huge red flags as I struggle to breathe right there. These are huge red flags on his side. So um, like TJ here to win, but don't love him. Uh, keep that dock open because I might be joining you over there on that island, AJ. Liam, uh, how do you feel about this matchup between these two 135ers that you know could easily be champions given the path that uh, might be set before them? Absolutely, man. And this is, I got to be honest, one of the fun fights that you get a chance to break down. You know, sometimes you got to sit down and slog through the tape and be like, geez, Louise, am I really spending my Saturday, my Sunday, whatever day of the week it is, watching this kind of tape? And then you get to watch fights like, uh, you know, Corey Sandhagen. Um, and man, fun finishes. Also has a really interesting game. You know, I was listening to a breakdown Israel Adesanya did, and he called him a butcher. Uh, He's very particular about his shot selection. He likes to target the liver when he hits the body, like, and he'll point at it right after he hits it, like, hey, I just got you there. Uh, and he called out in the Marlon Moraes fight, hey, I just broke his orbital. Like, he's trying yeah. to do particular specific damage, and he's very cognizant of the damage that he's doing. Uh, I think he's an interesting fighter for those reasons, you know. I think this is a really tough matchup for TJ to come back to. You know, not only is it somebody who's kind of got familiarity with him, where one of the things about TJ that makes him really hard to deal with is the fact that he's got this unique footwork. He moves in and out. He does these uh, weird uh, entries into range. And so a lot of times it's a game day test. You know, can I pass the test one time, one chance? Now you have somebody who's seen a lot of what TJ does in inside and out of the practice room. And we had heard, uh, right, and, you know, practice room stories are only worth X amount, right? But if Corey Sandhagen, when he's not a UFC-level talent, is getting the better of TJ Dillashaw on the feet, we've seen improvements from Corey Sandhagen. Granted, does he get taken down? Yes. But he does try and turn everything into a grappling match uh, the second that you initiate a takedown. And what kind of jiu-jitsu are we going to see from TJ Dillashaw? That's 
to me an interesting question. We don't get to see a lot of his grappling tape. We don't have a lot of footage of it. And so, you know, it might be very good. It might be able to stand up, but I, I was impressed by some of the things I saw when I was revisiting the tape from Sandhagen. Number one is heart and durability, just very hard to make the man concede. The Aljo fight, you know, a lot of lesser men would have tapped to when Aljo was squeezing the shit out of his face and jaw. Uh, Damian Maya has done that to a bunch of people where they quit on the face lock. It's not a choke um, because it hurts really bad. And when somebody's got that kind of squeeze, they could break your face. Um, and Aljo was squeezing the hell out of him, had to let it go and go back uh, with a choke because he was like, man, this guy's just too tough. He's not going to tap. Uh, and then he did tap when he was sleeping. So I think that Corey Sandhagen for me uh, is probably the side if this remains a striking battle. I think it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, if it gets into grappling exchanges, I do think TJ, better wrestler, going to be able to take him down. But is he going to be able to hold him down? Is he going to be able to uh, prevent Corey from introducing some uh, unique elements of grappling? He likes to go to that Kimura trap. Um, he was able to get that very tight armbar on Mario Batista. Uh, I think that Corey's grappling isn't just you know, uh, a nothing, you know, I, I think that Aljo made it look that way because Aljo is the best back taker in the division. But I think a lot of other guys would struggle against Corey Sanhagen. And so I think it should be a great fight, but because of all the red flags that AJ pointed to, I did not want to get involved in the TJ side. I will say the money line is starting to get a little out of hand, minus 200 and whatever, you know, I, I do think that that's a little unreasonable. I would cap Corey Sanhagen about minus 175 here. Uh, minus 160, somewhere in that range. But I think that Corey, uh, it's because he's been active. You know, he's had like three fights over the last year where he keeps getting in there against the very best guys in the world, and TJ hasn't been doing that. So, uh, you know, it's harder to get better at something by not doing it. Um, you know, theoretically, TJ's off his Flintstone vitamins. You know, <laughs> I don't know uh, to what extent I believe that, but that's that's the story, and they're sticking to it. So I think it should be an interesting fight. Um, I, I'm curious to see what happens. I have right now uh, under three and a half rounds uh, tracked as a bet. Um, I think that somebody's probably going to get finished if this stays a striking affair. I do think that there's an ego at play on the TJ Dillashaw side. Sometimes he likes to get out there and uh, get in exchanges, even when it's not wise. Uh, and it's cost him uh, in terms of getting hurt in the Garbrandt fights. And, you know, a lot of the, the successful wrestling that we've seen um, from TJ was a long time ago. And so at 35 years of age in the bantamweight division, uh, it's pretty old for a bantamweight. I'm interested to see how this plays out, but I think Corey might be the ticket these days. Um, and I, I'm going to back Corey Sandhagen. I like Not it. on the money line, but. Yeah. Uh, I like that take for sure. And I know you guys heard me talk about hype tax earlier on this thing. And I feel like there's a little bit of hype tax here on on the more active Corey Sanhagen, right? He goes out there, sends Frankie Edgar's head into orbit. You know, the the, the Marlon Moraes fight, beautiful finish there as well. But obviously people are just seeing him active, seeing him get these brutal finishes and automatically going to his side and then just automatically discrediting everything TJ Dillashaw has ever done. And he can't be doing that against a guy who is as skilled as TJ Dillashaw. Flintstones, no Flintstones. We still can't cap what he's going to look like once he steps inside the cage. So yeah, there are a ton of unknowns on TJ Dillashaw, but you're betting on those unknowns, even if you're taking Corey Sanhagen in this spot, assuming that we're not going to see a good TJ Dillashaw in the cage. And I think that's somewhat foolish to do, especially at that price tag, considering what we know about TJ Dillashaw and what he can actually bring to the table. Not to mention, like we said, the wrestling advantage that he should potentially have in this fight. My question marks are, 
I think his best path to victory is actually winning this fight via decision, but does he have the tank to go off hard five rounds, evading the the traps that uh, Corey, Corey Sanagan is going to be setting for him on the feet, landing those takedowns, and then even trying to control him on the ground? That takes a lot of gas. And obviously, coming off a two-year layoff, you know, maybe not taking what he was taking before, I'm certain that he's probably taking something still. You know, all, I'm sure all of us can agree that the vast majority of fighters are taking stuff, but they're getting away with it. And TJ Doshan could potentially be doing the same thing here. With that said, um, it, it's tough to back either side. Again, I, I'd like a better price tag if I was going to be taking Corey Sandig, and I'd like closer to like my, maybe minus 140, minus 130. That's probably personally where I would put him at. But I think that uh, Doshan presents enough issues and enough threats here that I got to stay off of Sandhagen myself. I do think that TJ could look somewhat close to what his form used to be, but we can't 100% say that until he actually steps in the cage and shows us that. So th this fight personally is a, is a stay away. Uh, I don't even like the totals here either. You know, I do think that Sandhagen's path to victory is probably a finish, which could definitely transpire given what we've seen from him in the past. Uh, and then what TJ Dillashaw, I, I'd kind of be surprised if he caught Corey Sandigan with something on the feet that would actually, you know, inflict enough damage to to put his lights out. And in terms of a submission, that's a take. Another take that I've been seeing kind of float around Twitter, I think uh, Dillashaw by sub is like plus 1,200, plus 1,400. There's nothing really on tape that's going out there and showing me that he's going to find a submission. You know, I think people might be putting a little bit too, too much weight on that Aljamain Sterling fight saying, oh, look. It kind of looked easy, right? But that's what Aljamain fucking Sterling does. He makes it look easy at times when he's able to be successful with his rappling approach, right? We've seen Corey Sanigan in precarious positions in the past, most notably against Yuri Alcantara, where his arm was pretty much snapped in half, but he was able to get out of that and then, uh, you know, find the finish early in that second round. So I'm not writing off Dillashaw yet. I want to see him inside the cage. I want to see what he brings to the table. What his cardio looks like, what his movement looks like, what his chin looks like, especially if he gets hit here. Obviously, he doesn't have to deal with the crazy weight cut to get down to 125 pounds, which in my opinion, you know, did serve a little bit into Henry Suhudo finding that button as easy as he did and getting him out of there. But uh, he looks good. He looks in great shape on the scales by all accounts. I don't think there was anything to really uh, noticeably, noticeably uh, uh, pinpoint in terms of a negative from what we saw from TJ Dillashaw this morning. But I do think that uh, we should see a decent showing from Dillashaw, and that's enough for me to stay away from the Corey Sanhagen side of things, but still not enough for me to take the money line here on uh, TJ Dillashaw because I want to see this fight play out. Way too many unknowns. There's, there's, I think, 10 other fights on this fight card we can invest our hard-earned money into. I don't think we need to do it with this main event, but I am going to go with the TJ Dillashaw side of things if AJ will let me on his island there, and uh, I'm going to take him to win this fight <laughs> via decision. Brady. Uh, you're the tiebreaker here. You're, you're gonna, well, not really tiebreaker. It's either gonna be tied if you take the Liam side of things with Sandhagen, or you're gonna jump on over here with me and AJ on the Dillashaw th side of things. How do you think this main event plays out? Brady, be careful. I could get an island here if you're not. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, this is such a tough fight. To, I don't see how anybody can be confident in, in Sandhagen at minus 200. Um, you guys mentioned it. Uh, the red flags, um, in the in the question marks surrounding TJ Dillashaw because we have not seen him in what like two and a half years, coming off of a PED suspension. Um, he is now 35 years old, a 35 year old bantamweight. Uh, definitely not a good look, but you know, I kind of look at it as if um, if he does come back and he does look like how he did, you know, say 2017, 2018, I think it's going to be a, a very, very competitive fight. And uh, AJ did bring up the 30% takedown defense of Sanhagen. Um, that's definitely a path to victory where, you know, Dillashaw can mix in those takedowns. It's just, 
the question marks, uh, the, the red flags. You know, Sanhagen, he's 29 years old. He's going to be younger by six years. Um, he's definitely more active as well. And we just don't know. We just don't know. So for me, um, I'm no bet in this fight at all. Um, I don't see how you can bet Sanhagen minus 200. It just doesn't make sense to me personally because what happens if Dillashaw does show up and he does look like he did? What if he is the, the Dillashaw of old and, and it comes back and looks good? I think it's going to be very, very, very competitive. And I don't think Sanhagen will look minus 200, but um, as far as a, a pure pick, I will pick Sanhagen because he has been more active because of the red flag surrounding Dillashaw. Um, but you know, from a, from a betting perspective, it's, it's a hundred percent dog or pass if anything, but for me, I'm going to pass. I'm going to sit back and watch this fight. I think it's going to be a very good one. Two great guys going at it. And, uh, you're really curious to see how Dillashaw does look coming off of a PED suspension coming off of such a long layoff and now being a 35 year old ban away, but I'll, I'll go with the younger guy as far as a pick goes, but um, you you definitely won't see me betting him this week. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I feel like anybody that's going out there and saying Sanhagen is a lock or you know he should definitely go out there and, and win this fight. I think they're not giving giving TJ Dillashaw enough respect and giving even the sport of MMA enough respect, right? Like you, you can't just automatically think that a guy you know who was at the top of his game uh, before leaving the sport, obviously due due to PED suspensions, you can't just automatically write him off. He still has those skill sets. It's just. Can his body allow him to go out there and and, and showcase that that skill set? I think it, it could enough to justify his price tag, but again, too many unknowns. All right, that pretty much wraps up the breakdowns, but one thing that I do want to do on the way out here, two things I like to do on the way out for the Ultimate Way-In Show is give everybody's lock of the night play or their most confident play on the card, as most people really like to see that at the end of the show here. So shout out to the 320 live viewers that we currently have. We need some more likes. I'm just saying. We're not on those three digits of likes yet, and it's a driving me crazy. Make sure you guys hit that like if you guys haven't already because I'm sure you guys learned a thing or two from these guys. All right, I'll kick things off. My lock of the night play, as I said earlier in the card, I'm going four and a half units on Ian Heinish here. I took him at minus 150. I think that's a great spot. I line him closer to minus 200, minus 250, as I do believe he'll be successful with the takedowns here against Imovov. I like his durability, so I think he'll be able to take a shot from Imovov as well. But I think that the game plan is there, especially with the new training camp that he's been uh, staying at. Uh, they should be able to formulate something for Ian Heinrich to go out there and just put it on Imovov. Let's hope for another 11 minutes of control time for uh, against Imovov in this spot. But I like Ian Heinrich. Ian Heinrich by decision, but also a little bit of a sprinkle on that round three prop because I think he'll have the advantage in the cardio as well. Brady, what, what's, your, what's your most confident spot on the card for tomorrow night? Well, my most confident spots um, are over minus 250. So I got to pick one better. And I think it's going to be the under two and a half rounds alternative line for the Yanez and Costa fight. It's minus 195. Um, you know, basically, if you add up all the fights combined for Costa, it's still not enough to get over that two and a half mark. Um, he's never been over the one and a half mark as well. And there's just a lot of question marks surrounding him. But I think uh, there's a legitimate chance that Costa could find an early finish. But if not, I, I do see him slowing down. He puts 120% in at every shot. I think it's either Costa early or Giannis late. Um, but I can also see Giannis getting a first round finish as well. Regardless, I don't see it going the distance. I do like the minus 195 uh, under two and a half rounds there. I like it. I like it. AJ, what do you got for us, brother? So earlier, Liam proved me wrong when I asked who's the guy that's back in Minner. But here, I actually think I got a good take on who's actually backing Elise Reed. It seems like everybody loves Sajara <laughs> Eubanks to win here. I mean, everybody loves her to roll. And here's the thing. It's always a little you know, hesitant with a fighter that's only been the distance in the UFC. But if we think she's going to go out here and dominate, the way I look at this fight is instead of taking Sajara's money line, and I'm trying to naysay anybody's bet. If you took the money line, I hope you cash. You probably do. 
well, why don't I just take the under two and a half rounds? If we think she goes out here and has a grappling clinic on this girl, I don't see why this this can't be a finish here. And under that 12 and a half minute mark, we acknowledge that she's got the cardio issue. So I have to think that if she gets the finish, it's within that 12 and a half minute mark. So I, I think we could, you know, agree with that. I mean, it's just a good analysis. We all agree that she's going to take this girl down, pass her guard and work in a dominant position at plus money. You know, I'm willing to take that chance. I like that approach, AJ. Liam, bring this on home, brother. What What's the spot that you like the most tomorrow night? Uh, you're on mute, brother. You're on mute. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, what I was going to say was that AJ just convinced me to add uh, the under two and a half because I do feel like that is a great spot. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to piggyback on it by saying Sajara Eubanks inside the distance. You know, uh, it's kind of crazy to say most confident spot of the night because, again, she's never gotten a finish in the UFC. But at plus 160, I think that it's a tremendous value spot. If you remember the last time I was on here, Locke, I gave you um, – Mason Jones inside the distance at plus oh, money got against there, the La Patrick, and I literally got highway robbed. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, we get a uh, an Elise Reed who's willing to grapple, who's coming out there shooting takedowns. She brought her headgear and her shoes, and uh, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Eubanks get the submission and uh, roll her up early, make us look like geniuses, get that under two and a half, uh, get that money line across, and also – uh, we'll we'll try and get that inside the distance at plus money. Uh, it's actually contracted a little bit. I think market wide, um, a lot of action started to come in on it. I got it plus one sixty. I'm seeing plus one twenty five on my book now. So if you want in on that, get in now while the going's good because that that plus money is probably going to be gobbled up by fight time. Would be my guess. I love it. I love it. All right. There you guys have it. Lock of the night picks from everybody in terms of the most confident picks for tomorrow night. Uh, I do want to quickly address my guy, Ryan Grant here. Can we get a best bets graphic? I will definitely look to implement that moving forward here. Hopefully got to get these lock of the night plays guys from these guys before the stream, but I'll be sure to do that uh, for streams moving forward. Uh, all right. We're going to swing it around the horn one more time so everybody can plug where uh, you guys can find them. Trust me. You guys already heard them for the last two hours. There are definitely guys you you should be going out there and listening to because they do have some good takes and some good reads, and they definitely put in the work. Brady, I'm going to start off with you. Where can everybody find your work, and where can they follow you? Yep, you can follow me on Twitter, DFS underscore numbers, Instagram, DFS by the numbers, or on YouTube, DFS by the numbers. Uh, the only thing I really want to plug is going to be the new show that me and Uncle Weezy are doing called Stat Diggers. Uh, we go live every Sunday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern time. Um, this week is going to suck, or next week, because we have 15 fights that I have to look into. I'm going to have to get like eight fights done tonight, eight fights done tomorrow. It's going to suck. But um, come join us on Sunday, 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And I just want to say thanks, Locke, for having me on. I love being on. It's fun. I'm glad to be on with a, a nice cast with AJ and Liam as well. And uh, I had fun. Absolutely. Shout out to Stat Diggers. That is going to be one of the bigger shows in this betting uh, community because those guys go over every single thing. And shout out to Uncle Weezy too. Easily becoming one of my favorite guys that are on the up and up. And he definitely has a bright future within this content creation game. AJ, where can they find you, brother? Yeah, Twitter at AJ MMA Betting, Instagram, same handle, uh, YouTube, same handle as well. Contributing to dailyfanmma.com. That's where you could find uh, my bets that I posted. I have three posted for the events. I do some write ups there. I help out Brad Apley, Technical Tim, Chris, and the crew. Um, I just started posting bets on my website, so you could access them there as well. AJ MMA Betting.com. That's linked in my bio of my Twitter accounts. Um, yeah, cheers, guys. It was awesome doing this with you. Fun back and forth. Uh, love doing this. Let's do it again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Shout out to Brad Apley, who I'm going to be having on in a couple weeks as well, because I love that motherfucker as well. But uh, Liam, let's bring it on home, brother. Where can they find you? Absolutely. I wanted to say thank you very much for the opportunity, Locke. It's always a pleasure for me uh, to chop it up with you guys. Uh, AJ, uh, 
has been very gracious with his time in the past. Very nice guy, very knowledgeable. Everybody should be checking out his work. Obviously, Brady's work speaks for itself as well. Um, so salute to you guys, uh, all OGs, the three of you, and I appreciate what you guys have to offer. In terms of myself and my work, you can find me on YouTube, Liam Picks Fights. Uh, same thing on Twitter and Instagram, Liam Picks Fights everywhere. And uh, in in addition, right, I, I have my own company, uh, Delphi Sports. We're just getting started. Website launching soon, but got to uh, tip my hat to uh, at Delphi Commission. He's my business partner, and uh, I'm a degenerate, right? I love MMA, and I'm working to be an uh, excellent MMA handicapper, studying all the time, trying to get better. Uh, my man Nick is an excellent baseball handicapper, killing it in MLB. Everybody check him out if that's what you're interested in. I don't watch stick and ball sports. I'm a combat sports uh, only kind of guy, but just wanted to give that shout out as well. So thank you guys very much for having me. It's been an absolute blast and I look forward to chatting with all you guys in the future. Absolutely, brother. Star-studded crew for you guys for this UFC Vegas 32 card. I'm happy to have these guys on. They will definitely be on again in the future. So shout out to everybody that joined us on this evening. I do want to let you guys know just before we get out of here, tomorrow, uh, special start time for the Fight Day live chat. I will be going out for the day. I won't even be watching the card uh, live. I'll have to catch up on that either Saturday night or Sunday morning. But the Fight Day live chat is going to be pushed to 10 a.m. tomorrow. You know what? Let's make it 10.30. 10.30 a.m. tomorrow, 60 minutes, I'm going to be with you guys. It's all about the chat. It's all about the comments, suggestions, questions, all that type of stuff. I address everything there. 10.30 a.m. tomorrow, Eastern time, I'll be doing the Fight Day live chat. All right. Thanks to Brady. Thanks to AJ. Thanks to Liam. Appreciate the 300 plus live viewers that we were able to hit. And shout out to everybody with that's watching the replay as well. Good luck in your bets this weekend. And war in Heinisch, fellas. <laughs>